You are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Science Marvel Comics Podcast. This is episode 18, and that is legacy number 518. I'm here to start things off, as always, with my man, Matt. What up, Matt? What up, Jim? What up? And we have real big book. This uh-huh. week. I mean, this is the big, big, big book we end up where we're going to be talking about the ultimate Spider-Man. But we also have such things as gang war, tie-ins, and some other stuff as well. Uh, but we're not even going to waste time at this beginning. We'll get right into it because most people have been looking forward to this ultimate Spider-Man. And even people who I heard didn't even want to get involved in what led up to it. Or even any of the other books. They just want Ultimate Spider-Man because it's Ultimate Spider-Man, but also because of Jonathan Hickman. And it's pretty good. Uh I mean, just as a a quick little deal, it it is decent. I wonder how people are going to take it because there's always, you know, people who don't like Hickman or they think this or that. Me and you, before we hit record, we were even talking you, you always do have that fear that Hickman will set things up, that it'll be really good, and then it'll leave. And I, it's hard to get away from that, but we'll, we'll try to get away from that for the first deal. But we'll just get right into it. It is Ultimate Spider-Man, number one, written by Jonathan Hickman, art by Marco Cuccetto, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters by VC's Corey Petit. And I don't always read the intro things and in the recap, but I think you kind of need to do that yeah. here. Me and you read all the things leading into it, and I kind of mm-hmm. forgot a lot of the stuff. Me and too. Also, when you jump in here, it seems like a lived-in universe a bit more than I thought you have things that you might have to pick up as well from the issue itself. Now, if I would ask you right now before I read that, uh-huh. do you think that people who didn't read that stuff could jump in? Because I think they can. Yes, absolutely. You might be a little confused about some things, but you know, obviously, it's the ultimate universe. So you're going to start to wonder, okay, what's going on and what's happening? And even if you have read the stuff, me and you were talking, the thing that I was most concerned or wondering about is how do you get spider-man because we saw that the maker ended up making sure there wouldn't be a spider-man and there wouldn't be he stepped on the spider we saw him yeah so when we get into this i mean i've seen some people speculate that peter wasn't going to be spider-man that maybe i saw somebody like full out say they knew it was going to be harry and Peter in the book was going to play almost the Harry point of the, the best friend. I saw a lot of know. things going on and just crazy he stuff. He doesn't have and the hair for it. He can't pull yeah, it off. Yeah, so. well, again, you have that. And then people would probably be like, well, then does Peter become the Green Goblin? Now you're getting wacky. Oh, yeah. But I was wondering if Hickman would even make people. Yeah, kind of comes in. And it does play out almost like Hickman actually is going to say, hey, everybody, some of the things you've been wanting. I'm going to be able to do them here. Hopefully that continues. But here is the recap. 20 years ago, the maker prevented a radioactive spider from biting a young Peter Parker. He likewise prevented the creation of any other superheroes and formed a secret council to rule the world from the shadows. When Tony Stark learned the dark history of this universe, he sought to undo it, prompting the maker's council to attack Manhattan killing thousands and frame Stark for it. Peter Parker has lived his life unaware of the Maker's Council or the truth behind the spider, but that is about to change. So you get it right there. Peter Parker, okay, how is this going to happen? By the end, we'll see, and me and you both are worried that it's going to be that easy a thing. And when we get to it, we'll discuss it a little more. What 
it, what Hickman does in this though is he gives you like a very it's not I'm not going to say that it's not boring. I liked it. It's a mm-hmm. slow pace to reveal things in this world, but each of the things are pretty cool. And by the end of it, I think that as I was reading it, I had one bit of a feeling. But then when I got done and thought about the things, I was like, you know what? Like I said earlier, like, that's pretty good. I, I like some of the character work. I love the dialogue in it. And I think he does a good job. It's a lot of like uh, just regular people talking, it seems like. And it's interesting. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And me and you are going to talk about a couple of books this week. And that seems like something you should be able to do. Like, hey, it's just two guys that... It doesn't have to always be somebody punching somebody or whatever. They can be having regular conversations. And the dialogue feels right for the characters. And actually, you can get the play of their character through the dialogue as well. It's just some other writers don't seem to be able to get that. But Peter wakes up in the morning and you have this play where he's getting dressed. He's going to go off to work and he looks tired. He keeps saying it looks better than me, but he puts on his wedding ring. Another thing I will point out that people were somehow under the opinion that this was going to be a play where Peter and Mary Jane weren't married or they're going to get divorced. And Hickman really plays with that throughout this first issue. It places him it places him clearly at 35 years old because it says he's 15 when when uh when he's uh, adopted, right? And then 20 years have passed, so he's around 35, which is cool. Yeah, and that makes him becoming Spider-Man a little different than mm-hmm. becoming Spider-Man Much older. at 15. So that's pretty cool. And he goes out, there's his kids, and there's MJ his wife. And I think that people should be very excited about this. You have May and his son Richard, and that's pretty cool. Richard seems like he's a little darker. Like he he likes the reading, but May right away. Anytime you have a daughter of MJ and Peter, it's so cool. And she's there, and they're eating breakfast. Mary Jane comes out, and they keep talking about something that has to go on that next day, and that Peter wasn't sleeping. But there's more to just the sleeping than just that, because then you have the sphere mm-hmm. that May is playing with, and then Peter grabs and says, "Hey, that that's not yeah. Stay away from that kid." And I thought, I'm like, what is that? And I, I was going to ask you. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll read the issue and see. And by the end, I'm like, holy crap. Like, she shouldn't be anywhere near that. Why do you have that? You should have that locked up in a safe. Yeah, why is this thing out on the table while they're eating bacon? But you have the play here where Peter does seem a little standoffish. But Mary Jane, the kids are great. And they go off. So you might be a little worried. But the worry would come from the Peter angle, but he goes off to the Daily Bugle, so that's still in play. And when you're reading this, you're going to sit there and think to yourself like a checklist. Okay, he works at the Daily Bugle, check. Okay, there's J. Jonah Jameson, check. And you have J. Jonah just yelling for Parker, you know, his, his regular deal. Everybody's like looking like, oh, my God, Peter is a little late. But the Parker ends up being the managing editor. Ben Parker. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this point, I mean, even seeing the kids eating at the, the table, breakfast, whatever, that doesn't hit as much as this is one of the biggest changes. Oh, right? yeah. This is a big page turn here. Yeah. yeah for sure. So you get that. And it's like, Parker, and there's there's Uncle Ben. And I said to you, anytime you read any sort of Elseworlds, anytime you get an ultimate, it's either going to be Ben is dead or Aunt May. So when you see Uncle Ben there, I just thought, oh. R.I.P. Aunt May. And you even yeah. saw her on a picture on the mantle when Peter was getting dressed and got his wedding ring. So I'm like, oh, the, the thing, though, I thought then, oh, Hickman will do something. Different. No, no, that, that's always the case, it seems. Uh, but we have a way to tie it into everything that I thought was uh, pretty cool. But this whole play about 
Ben and everybody's worried about him. This Jay Jonah is actually a, a really nice guy. You know, he has that rough exterior that he would, but it's really showing you that he is a nice guy. He doesn't have 20 years of dealing with Spider-Man bothering him, too, which... Jay Jonah shows that even if he doesn't have Spider-Man, eventually he'll get to something. Yep. That he'll start yelling about a menace, and that'll end up being the terror attack of Tony Stark. True. But he's there, and, you know, they're doing their thing in Uncle Ben. They have this thing that they have to go to. They keep saying this thing. And I'm like, okay, well, is this an anniversary of Aunt May's death? Is it a funeral? Whatever it might be. It gets bigger. I didn't even think of what it would be. Peter comes in. They have to go off. They have to go off to this important thing. Ben kind of leaves. And Peter, he wants to know if Uncle Ben's okay. He asks Jay Jonah. And Jay's like, yeah, you know, yeah, we talk about our feelings. I mean, they're yeah. old guys. You know, and it's kind of funny. <laughs> But again, this is the character work in the dialogue that's really good. And he's like, yeah, and Jake Jonas says, you should ask him yourself. But then before Peter leaves, he says, wait a minute, you don't have a tie. And this is like such a weird, like you were talking about, you don't have to have punchy, punchy all the time. Like this is a really nice moment. Yeah, this is pretty this. nice. I mean, Jake Jonas gives Peter is tie. He says, here, you need a tie. You have to look respectable. Puts and he ties on it for him, too. Yeah, he ties it. It's really nice. Peter actually says, I don't really deal with ties. He's like, well, you're going to have to. And I even like afterwards, he goes, listen, you're not any bit near respectable, but at least you look like it. And then as Jay Jonah would say, you better bring back that tie. Because he's not going to let him just have the tie, right? Yeah, I mean, I would have had him probably throwing shade a little bit at uh, Uncle Ben for not teaching them how to tie a tie over the years. I but, think that Ben yeah. is just, and also, I guess, Peter <laughs> just doesn't like ties. Uh, he looks like a mess. He's pretty disheveled. He needs to iron his shirt, too. I mean, he's a, Well, he's, he stayed up all night, and you think at this point it would have been because of what they're going to. And they're going to the memorial of the Stark terror attack. Aunt May died in the attack. Yeah. So that's why they're there. And obviously, I've sat and as they're talking about it and say, well, how are you doing? And Uncle Ben says, your parents died when you were 15. We took you in, treated you like a son. We love you. Me and Aunt May loved you. But is there ever a day that it goes by without you thinking and getting upset about your parents? And he says, no, every day. And he's like, that's how I feel then. And it works. I mean, it's really a nice deal. And in the meantime, Mary Jane and the kids have come, but they're kind of going to stand back a bit and not Mm -hmm. get that much. They're going to stand with them, but they're not really talky. In this, and then you have Father Matt Murdoch. He comes up and gives his little thing about, "Hey, listen, we miss them, but they're always going to be in our dreams and our hearts. When you go to sleep, you'll dream of your angels." Trying to make things, you know, nice. And then they say, "Oh, but," and it's a weird way he introduces me. He's like, "Hey, we're going to introduce another speaker, one of your own. Two names are on this, and we find out Norman Osborne and you know his wife are dead." Hey, come on up here, Harry. Yeah, it was weird. And Harry comes up and he's like, yeah, you know, thanks a lot, Father Murdoch. I I appreciate the words. And yeah, I'm kind of upset. You know what? I'm really pissed off. And he starts like, really? I thought they were going to have to grab him off. Like all of a sudden the band (laughs) would start playing. They got to grab him the heck off because he just starts getting dark. It's like, it's not enough. We got to, I want revenge. And he's so angry to maybe set up. You know what's coming up in this because boy, he and even I think it's Mary Jane who says that was really nice until the end mm-hmm. because it was so bad. But and they even say, and again, Hickman is giving you some information in subtle ways of do you even know that Harry? Because at the end, 
you do have Uncle Ben shaking Harry's hand. They're going to go, and, and it's that Harry uh, or Norman had been interviewed a lot by Ben over the years. So yeah, they kind of had a weird little connection there. Well, so. Harry never went to Empire State University, too, with these guys either, I guess. Yeah, he never had any of that. So they don't even know him. They're in a bag. I think I you know, met him maybe once or whatnot, mm-hmm. but they don't know Harry. So there's not that there. And maybe that's going to be a play, too, of Harry not being as, you know, nice at points. Or maybe, you know, we'll see how that affects He's going to be a lot everybody. more like his dad, I think. Yeah, yeah, because he didn't have Peter or MJ or anybody around maybe to be friends. But when you end up having Ben's like, yeah, we've got to get back to work. And they go back to the Daily Bugle. And earlier, Jay Jonas said, and I like the way he said, hey, we got a meeting with the money later. Yeah, yeah. That's why he stays behind. That makes sense. He didn't go to the memorial. Yeah, yeah. He had to deal with this. And so when, when Ben gets back, he walks in and Jay Jonas quitting. He ends up, <laughs> I quit. And he strums out. Now, I thought they were going to play this of, oh, there he goes for the eighth time this week. Because that, you know what I mean? It's weird yeah. having him not fully in control, but then him quitting. But that feels like something like he would storm out all the time. But Ben goes into talking like, well, what's going on? And even when they walk by, Jay Jonah doesn't even say anything really to Ben. He just like storms by, looks just at him and leaves. Him. Yeah. And then Ben says, Peter, you keep your head down. Like you go over there. I got to see what's going on and goes in. Basically, they're told, like we said at the beginning, that they're not allowed to really report heavy on this terror attack, all that stuff going on with Stark, all this stuff that's been reported that that has become the obsession of the paper. And the money doesn't like that. The money is Fisk. And so things are starting to like really churn at this point. I I love Robbie. It's like, Robbie, you okay with this? He's like, my pension's coming up. I, I'm okay with anything. Yeah. I'll deal with I'm it. I'm close to retirement. You know, and you I mean. have Ben there. And he's saying, you know, and you wonder, like, is he going to stay? Or, you know, and he smiles at this one point where you see him from like outside looking into this room and he's smiling because he hasn't really like this job it seems the way he talks about it later he quits too he's out and so and, and jay jonas seems like he's been waiting for him like he did gather up his stuff but they're gonna go off together and just quickly it is a big part of it and i think that if somebody's gonna complain it might be that there's a real big centering on jay jonah and ben especially now they go off the drink and they're yeah. gonna start a new paper I thought it would be podcast, but or maybe <laughs> like a, a YouTube channel would have been funny. So could be. But yeah, these two old guys, they only know one thing, news. And there is that funny play where Ben says, if we're going to do news, we're going to tell all the truth. And Jay Jonah goes, we ain't going to do that. That's not what the news is. We'll, we'll not lie. Yeah. We, we just so it's kind of that funny little play. But Peter then catches up to them and it really affects peter and we find out later and again going through this a second time you really realize some of the little things cuz peter shows up thinking oh my they just had the memorial ben quit jake jonah quit what is going on and goes in and and ben and and jake jonah are happy they're all excited we're going to start this new thing and he kind of gets that play of like why can't i do that these old guys but he does have his family he has MJ and the He's kids to think of, and that's where you even have Ben. He doesn't even have Aunt May now. So he could easily do that. And so there's that little play, but it really does come down to, you know, can you just keep doing something you don't want to do? Coupled with the fact that when we do go back to the apartment, you have Peter, there's MJ, and he says goodnight to the kids, and then he starts talking to MJ, and it really starts feeling like he's going to want a divorce. 
But we end up where what he's saying, and he says, I need to change me. I Because we then find out that the night before, a future <laughs> Tony Stark has come back and given him the sphere that basically explains what has happened to the world. Yeah, Kang, Kang Tony Stark, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Time so traveler. It's the deal, the time traveler deal is saying, here, everybody, you got to do this. Here's the sphere. Check it out if you want to do this. I hope you do, because he even says at the end of this message from the future, I hope that when I come out of this room, I'll be greeted by all you superheroes. Uh, but he ends up getting a sphere that has the radioactive spider. But it also tells him you were supposed to be a hero. So that whole thing that's been nagging him about not really doing much, it's been, you know, getting to him this whole day as well. So then when he sees Uncle Ben and Jay Jonah just happy to start something new and be what they always wanted to do and whatnot, that even spurs him on even more. And then at the end, yeah, you see him with the spider. He gets it out of this, you know, test tube and it ends up biting him. And at the end, you see, you don't really get the full picture of him as Spider-Man, but you get to see him there. And we'll have to wait till the next issue to see more. And in this, though, the other big thing, because that's all the Peter stuff. You do have Fisk leave the conference, this whole thing. Goes to get in his car. The car blows up and you see Green Goblin. You're like, holy crap. Like, that's a huge thing. But all in all, like, it's really like setting up the whole universe and trying to make it right, especially starting. And it's cool that they start with Spider-Man. Because that's kind of the, the deal. Uh, but yeah, Fist seems to have been blown up. Maybe he survived. It's hard to tell. But you see a Green Goblin. That's very much an armored looking, very much like what would be the movie. Yeah, so they, they corrected that mistake. We were talking yeah, about that. Yeah, because that, that beast looking Green Goblin from the Ultimate Pass. Universe before, I didn't like it at all myself. So you yeah. can only assume that that would be Harry. But who knows? Maybe that's the twist. But it's funny. What I kind of get with Hickman here is. He's going to change the things that work in the idea of Peter not being Spider-Man back in the day. Aunt May dies, not Uncle Ben, because without Spider-Man, Uncle Ben doesn't die because there isn't that whole play of all that in and out of what happened when that night that Ben died. So that makes sense. And then when he goes, it doesn't feel like he's trying to change things just to change them. He seems to be working these things out in his mind to make it feel you know, more realistic of what would happen and basically centering on there was no Spider-Man. So what would happen from there, including without a Spider-Man, Mary Jane and are married and they have kids, which it's kind of that wink, wink at people like you want to have Mary Jane and Peter married. But really, the only way that that would work is if he wasn't Spider-Man, even in a whole way of like Marvel itself and why they do the stuff they do. And it's kind of cool. Uh, but overall, I like the art. I thought it was pretty good. I'm excited about it. I want to, you know, obviously keep reading, but what would you give this? I mean, but there's just real quick, the foundation of the, the, the Spider-Man mythos is his Uncle Ben dies and that gives him the responsibility and the power and that's not a part of his story now. So it's kind of changed the dynamic. Yeah, but Uncle dynamic. Ben is still there to, if he, you know, you you kind it, of feel like he probably would have taught him that already, but You would hope so, but die? it's not the same though. It's a little different, which is you got a guy in a suit 
his name's Peter Parker, but a lot of the foundational yeah, stuff is I not there. I didn't get the idea, though, that he's bad. No, Maybe he's not bad. just no. end up like he's like, I don't know. He's a family man now. He has two kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he'll be a little worried about those more than he would have before. We'll see. We'll see yeah, how it goes. I think it's interesting to see he has a son, which we've never seen that before. I think it's always been a daughter, which is a, a yeah. an interesting and element. Her, so. And then the added Richard there as well. I mean, I like this a lot. So yeah, I do uh, I'll, get, I'll give it a nine. It's a very I'm good uh, first issue. Well. I For thought sure. it was really good. So I'll give it a nine as well. I'm looking forward to the next Recommend issue. It. See maybe some more things. Maybe we'll see who that I think the Green Goblin identity might go on for a little bit, but you know, we'll have to see how it goes. And it's a good start to the ultimate stuff. And then we'll have Black Panther and then X Men coming up in a little bit. So I just get worried as as this. We were talking about it before. Like, is this is this gonna be a hundred issue run, two hundred issue run? Probably not, but that's really what you need. Uh, yeah, we, we need, need a something long... that'll be long. We hope that Hickman doesn't get bored and leave. Yeah, it'd be cool if he stayed on it for a long time. Hopefully he will. So we'll see how it goes. But we're going to move on to a, uh, the next book that's not as not as great. It's not as, as good no. as this one, but we'll talk about that now. And that next book is Thunderbolts number two. And if you listen to our review of the first issue of Thunderbolts, we thought it was kind of bullcrap. Yeah. We didn't really love it. We said at the end, and I'll really reiterate it as well, because by the end, you had what was a Thunderbolts team led by Bucky Barnes. You end up having Sharon Carter as the Destroyer. You end up having Red Guardian, and they are infiltrating Red Skull's Nazi slash Hydra Castle, and it was boring. How is that boring? Even when they talk, oh my God, even when they (laughs) talk about this, it's like they spell out that they were infiltrating Red Skull's broadcast studio. And I'm like, all right, like kind of, but I would more center on it was a castle than something is. I, I mean, I have a broadcast studio here and I'm lame, right? So it's well, more like a dungeon where you broadcast from. Yeah, I really. Think, well, wasn't it there with his Nazi nonsense? So you end <laughs> up where all this going on. And at the end of that issue with a team that barely made sense. And as you have said before, and I've seen other people complain even about the movie itself, this is just Suicide Squad. It doesn't feel like Thunderbolts. It doesn't feel like a team that's actually coordinated with because you don't really know. It's just kind of thrown at you, but it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. Yeah, so basically. When I got into this issue and I start like, okay, let's see what's happening here. Let's see what's going on. I ended up like, okay, I thought there were other people on this team. And then I read, I go back because a lot of times I don't read the recap and I read the recap. I'm like, oh crap, it was like, where are they? What are they doing? How did these new characters get involved? I don't even know what's happening here. Nobody seems to like the other people and it's just nonsense. But Thunderbolts number two is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Geraldo Borges, colors by Arthur Hesley. Mm-hmm. I've not really heard that name much. I haven't either. Letters by VC's Joe Sabino. Here is the recap, just so I can laugh at it. Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. The Revolution, has teamed up with the Contessa Allegra de Fontaine for a new mission, Justice Like Lightning. That's the original Thunderbolts tagline. <laughs> but they throw that in there as if they are like really telling this hard. Like they don't even deserve. It's nothing to like put the original. That. They That's don't. That's what I'm saying. They don't deserve to put that. No, it shouldn't even be called the the Thunderbolts. No, Bucky's I have, team. I, I'll tell you what I call it. But we don't curse on this thing. No, I said bullcrap earlier. Just add a little. And if I do curse, what we could do is. Redact it out, like, yep. and that's a. I hate oh my endings. God. I'm like, is that a word or is that a curse word? What am I looking at here? You 
don't need to do that. We understand. Please. <laughs> Their target, the Red Skull, his network, his legacy, and his life, once and for all. With the help of Sharon Carter, a.k.a. the Destroyer, not in this issue, not and this the Red issue, Guardian, no. nowhere to be found. They took out the Red Skull's broadcast studio. I'd call it a castle. Killed his current form. Right there. Even that showed that I'm getting so angry. Killed his current form. He's- yeah, he killed him. So, And what I'm going to say, though, is we saw at the end of last issue that something's going on with the Red Skull that he can keep continuing to kind of be alive. Different versions, different things. But yet Bucky like is surprised at the end of this by it, and it's even in the recap. So why? Killed his current form and mapped out his remaining network. Now comes phase two. Wipe out the Red Skull's wealth, currently guarded by Kingpin. Oh, right. So when you read it, whether it works or not, it just feels like Lansing and Kelly writing this are two steps behind any of the current continuity, or they actually think that things that people hate are more popular and grab them. That's what it feels like to me. It feels like you get the worst of every world in this book, including, unfortunately for them, their nonsense they did with Captain America. So you you start out in (laughs) New York City. The Hellfire Club, scum, villain. Stop. Stop with your not. A designer tapas. You have this going on, and there's going to be a lot of yakety yak. You're going to have a lot of people talking, and every single bit of dialogue sounds the same. You cannot tell who is saying it at points. You don't care. It is boring. This is overly talky, talky nonsense, and you don't really get anything from it because what you're having here is Bucky. With White Widow and Black Widow, they're going to infiltrate this whole play at the Hellfire Club because Red Skull's money is now going to be given away. Like, it almost feels like a will reading, but it's mm-hmm. not. And then at the end, you f- oh, Fisk is going to keep the money himself? Well, that's no shock. And then even with that, there's a weird way of how it's grabbed. And, and even the discussion of the money was annoying. The guy goes, uh, how much I'm money saying. are we talking about? 15 billion and he says it's the exact amount it's like yeah it's the not exact funny. amount like that's not funny so you're there and you play this thing of okay everybody in the room bucky is killed at one point kind of playing a wink wink of the red skull thing even like he should be somebody who doesn't you know bat an eye at somebody coming back or continuing it's bucky he's done it but he goes in they're not undercover i mean seriously they're out in the open it, it black widow she's wearing her emblem sure on her chest that she's so known that she wears a black ball dress with her symbol on it <laughs> and then you have yelena is pissed off because everybody's looking at bucky and not her she comes off as just a dunce in i thought this. she was at emma one, frost the whole time you even get yelena at one point at the end like the Contessa, she's running the whole thing. She's like the Amanda Waller. We're going to go the whole Suicide yeah. Squad feel. And it does feel more like that. At one point, she's like, oh, like after the fact, I thought you were going to wear your beat em up costume. Not that. Tra- oh, the dress makes me feel cute. And I'm pretty good when I'm cute. I'm like, get out of town. <laughs> I'm telling you, everything is boring. Everything is explained in a way that makes it even more boring than it actually is. And you have just weird plays here where they're getting through the ear from the Contessa. We got to get the money. We got to get the money. We got to get the money. Fisk comes out and says, hey, that Red Skull, pretty bad guy. I don't think that we're going to toast a fascist Nazi. So the heck with that. And by the way, I'm going to get the money. Like this whole thing, even to the point where they say, and I'm saying Bucky and them are like, thus protest too much. I'm like, what do you mean? 
He's going to grab the money, but he's just going on and on about how this Red Skull's the worst, whatever. And then we find out, you know, obviously Fisk is involved with this, but he just says, hey, everybody, we have the money going. We're going to end up putting it in this vault. and You better not steal it. And if you do, I'm going to be pissed and sign our sucker and then gets on the elevator. And then you get the team like, oh, this is our cue. Let's go in. So here we go. Again, no Sharon Carter Red Guardian that were from this last issue. So now we have to get Yelena and Black Widow, and they're going to go, and they're going to have this contest of who could get to this vault level first, but not really set up. And then when it does happen, it's just eye-rolling because it's annoying because you realize that there's not anything going on in the story at all. Like Ocean's Eleven, this is Ocean's a quarter. They're going to, I'm getting on the elevator. Oh, you want the codes? Because I just use my symbiotic reach to get the code. Because in this, you have what currently is going on. Black Widow as a symbiote. And luckily, we get black word bubbles with red. Just like I hated when we had the Batman who laughs. I can't read it. I hated it. It's just like every little thing annoys me in this. So is the symbiote named Widow? Is that what it's like? Yeah, that's what it seems. And I I don't really know. I haven't been reading anything with it. So you end up where a lot of the stuff's just solved because Black Widow has a symbiote. She ends up getting the codes to the the elevator to give to Elena. They end up meeting up at the top and we're just going to have kind of a fight. It's not that big a fight. Fisk seems like the slowest walk because he says, I'm going to get on the elevator. We have so much going on. He's using a cane. He's got to be slow. Come on. you know. How many times, though, were we also (laughs) seeing Bucky like grabbing that glass? Like we see that like three times. I think there are points in this that I legitimately think somebody has stopped time. Yeah. Here's my review. This book sucks. But you end up where they go. And they're going to get this Nazi gold. Oh, we're going to get it. We got to keep it from this. The Contessa, she wants us to get this. We really don't know why everybody's involved because even Yelena and Black Widow like talk crap on the. So they get there and there's that slight mention of nothing can go into what is, and I didn't even say vast, the living Is that vault a new character or an existing one? I don't even know. Nah, I don't, I don't know either. But the, he's there and all the gold is being transferred into him. So you end up having Black he Widow vacuums it into his body or something. Yeah, he's uh, like he's got a negative space in there. Yeah. It's like a different dimension. So he's going to get it in there. While he's doing that, you end up having Black Widow just throw what looks like sticks of dynamite. She's going old school, and it's just going to blow up all the gold. That's it. That That's pretty much the deal. And in the meantime, the Contessa's pissed because she wanted the gold, but then they don't. But I'm like, what does anybody care I don't know why this team even is anything. At one point, Bucky ends up saying, hey, our extraction plan's done. You just need to rip open the, the building and get us with the Quinjet. We're out of here. And that's what they do. And at the end, she's like, I wanted that Nazi gold. You jerks. But at the very end, when Fisk was getting beat up, he actually says to Bucky, you think you killed the Red Skull? <laughs> he lives on. We knew this. And then he's, he's like waking <laughs> up at night. I don't know what to do. That, that Red Skull, he's still out and about, and then they find out, oh, by the way, we think that the Red Skull's working somewhere in Europe. Oh, really? Where's that? You're not going to like it. It's in Latveria. All right. Go screw yourself. This book stinks. Yeah. and, and re, re, uh, <laughs> Things just happen. Black, Black Widow gets sucked in, <laughs> in a non-sexy way into Vast, right? Yeah. Into his, and it's like tons of gold and shit stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's tons of gold. I think this character could be really cool. It's just I think these guys invented it, and it just sucks. 
I, I just did a quick look up and I haven't seen it before. And I, I, it makes me even more angry. And even that, like, she's in there and you already said, like, you can't get in and then get out. And look, but you have this mechanical hand come and grab Grabs her, her right? out. Like, why yeah, not leave her happens. in there to die? Yeah. Like, really, the idea of her being in there in a vault with all the gold, you then go to where this goes because that's Fisk's thing that they're getting this gold and transferring. Where you're going to transfer it then, you get Vass, you set him up and say, okay, let's get 500 guys with bazookas ready, and then when he pulls her out there, you kill her. Why grab her out now? You know why? Because she's going to throw sticks of dynamite down so that it blows up, and she can't be in there. Obviously, there you go. Uh, uh, yeah. That's the kicker of the issue. Oh, my God. She was so smart to jump in, give the deal. And the play was, if you jump in, you never come out. And so you think it's stakes, but it's not because he just reaches his go-go gadget arm in. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for explaining that because I never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I, I just want to, you know, maybe point out, I, I don't know exactly what she throws in, but I kind of think that. That gold would still be there. Some of it. I mean, and I that know looks that looks like way more than fifteen uh, billion dollars worth of gold. I don't know. Oh damn you, you thunderbolts! You <laughs> took my gold. I play where Lansing and Kelly want to push this narrative of this is the biggest thing ever. I mean, they're taking down the Skulls Network and all that. The story is just so simple. A B C, boom, done. Everything happens just easily, and then they're done, and then we move off. And I'm assuming we're gonna have two other characters involved because. They can't write these characters well anyway, but at least set up a narrative that through the series you actually start liking some of these. They are classic characters, but still, you're not going to say to me right now, oh man, you know who Lenz and Kelly write great? The Red Guardian. So we barely got, and then we move on to another thing. It's just, it's it's nonsense. Next issue, they're going to Hong Kong to fight the American kaiju, Todd Ziller. So. Which is weird because you almost played the idea they're heading to Latveria, but I guess this is like, we know he's in Latveria, but we can't get there. And I bet you in Hong Kong, they're going to try to get something that will let. Well, it, it's also annoying, too, because this page basically was in that last timeless issue. And they, they wrote that. So they were promoting this. Yeah, they're not good. I, I know people might disagree with me, but I don't know why. Because they are boring. Everything they write is boring. And it, it ends up being more convoluted than it has to. We said it about last issue of this. You end up having such a convoluted issue when you just have fun. There's a, a Red Skull Castle. You're going to go in and they try to make it fancier. They try to make it like this whole thing thinking of it as a caper type deal. You're just lost in this nonsense and wall of words and dialogue that you never yeah. really get to settle down. And And in the end, you don't even really know exactly what they did or how they did it. You just end up like, all right, the gold's gone. Oh, well. And not even really knowing what that means except for, oh, it sucks with that network. But I don't really feel like I'm involved in any of the story. But what would you give it? I'm trying to remember what we get. I gave it last time. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning more towards a three. I'm, That's what I'm feeling. Uh, I'm a 2.5. Yeah. I, I just I, <laughs> I hate to – I just don't – like <laughs> you can tell when we're talking about it. I, uh, you read a guy like Hickman and how how well he does at world building and yeah, and, and then changing you get this and realize and stuff, that difference. You just can't do it. They can't do it. No, you just have people talking like it's not even like exposition. But it's like they think that this is character work dialogue, but it's not. I mean, you just have people just yakety yakking to the point where you're like, okay, and, and I have to give it a low score because there's there's a part where, you know, you're reviewing a book and you don't like it and you're like, oh, it's a shame or man, I wish it was better or something like that. 
it takes that special writers to get me angry when I read it as if like they've done me an insult that I had to read this bull crap and waste my time with it. So yeah, I think we're done with this. Right. I have the same kind of feelings, but I really, really like the Thunderbolts and the, the series that have come before this, especially the original one. And this just is a lack of better words, a bastard version of it. This doesn't feel like it has a purpose. Or if it does, you have a checklist of things that they need to do before it's over. And that's not a way. It, it just doesn't have a spark. It doesn't have any inspiration to it. It's boring. And you just end up at the end. I just shrug my shoulders knowing I'll forget all of this. And then at the end, all I remember is, oh, they blew up the gold. That's it. So why not just, I, I get it. And then, yeah, like you said, timeless. But that's that. We'll go off. We still have more books. This is the worst of it. We still have more, hopefully better than this. And the next book is Miles Morales Spider-Man. It is Miles Morales Spider-Man number 15, Legacy of 297, which kind of comes in as an important thing because of the villain Rabble. Who yep. is going to be and is pushed by Cody Ziggler and Marvel as the arch nemesis of Miles Morales. And if that's the case, poor Miles, you, you deserve better. But that's just me. We'll see what people think. But overall, I just want to thank Gangwar because I said before I wasn't reading Miles and Gangwar kind of pushed us into it. I'm saying uh-huh. that facetiously because I'm really mad at Gangwar now because I'm telling you the things that I don't like about Cody Ziggler slapped me in the face in this issue. I did not <laughs> like it. Cody Ziggler writing art by Federico Vicentini and Frederica Mancine. You have colors by Brian Valenza and letters by VCs Corey Petit. I'm not going to read the recap and we were talking right before we too long. this one. It's too long. And I said, when I got over, I love the recap page. I really mm-hmm. do. I wish that DC would get off their high horse. They seem to not want to do it. And I've heard editors tell me they won't do it because Marvel does it. So I wish they would. But when I, we started doing the Marvel stuff, I did have that theory of the longer the recap, the it equals out to the amount of bullcrap that the book has had because they <laughs> think that nobody's going to remember or nobody did understand. And that's where you start getting new information in the recap. You're like, I didn't see that. Yeah, they spoil stuff that never happened. If you sit there and look at this, there's 800 names listed. There's two paragraphs. I mean, what is this? You know, a test? And it really shows me this book is a a mess. And, And when we get into this story, there's some fun to be had. It's not much of a gang war. None of these are, they're starting to not be gang war esque stories anyway. Which then, if you're going to rate them on that alone, then they're all failures. They really are. You get Hobgoblin in here. Yeah, he's on the map. But what is he doing gang war-esque? Nothing. Nothing, really. He's no. there to pretty much push Rabble to be this arch nemesis. And in the meantime, there's not really any mention of, oh, my God, this gang war. It pretty much is, oh, no, Uncle Aaron's Prowler. We kind of resolved that. And now let's go take down Hobgoblin and Rabble. And Rabble's pushed. Fully. And in this, I think that if you were like me and Dr. Matt here, mm-hmm. did you laugh at the one? Because I know it's supposed to be this big moment where you have the idea, oh, rabbles with Hobgoblin. And this is something that pretty much gives panic attacks to Miles. But it was so it almost felt like a B movie where it was overacted. Yeah, he's like, like, oh, I, my I, God. I can't breathe. Oh, my. I have to take a, a moment here. I yeah, can't. I thought they were going to get a fan, start fanning him down. Then, then he <laughs> might get like in the James Brown concert where he looks like he's going to pass out. But then he pops back up. But yep. he is so overwhelmed by it to the point where, OK, we get it. You're pushing that this is a scary villain to him. 
But what we see up to that point, I, I thought that it was kind of silly, but we'll have to see how it goes on. Again, we're talking as people who have jumped on with gang wars, so people could say, well, you don't understand this happened and this happened. That's fine. I mean, I, I can say I have no idea because I've never seen Rabble before this issue. And so. so where I'm playing the angle here is, does this get you excited? Because issue legacy number 300 of Miles, it's going to be a big Rabble versus Miles. This is the arch nemesis deal. Doesn't really make me want to read that or get excited for the character. Rabble and I haven't heard anybody talking about this character at all. So we'll see. But yeah. what you do is Cody Ziegler's going to hit all of my trigger points. We we go off to the Beyond Corporation. You end up having a run down already. It's not been that long. But you see that Rabble and Hobgoblin, they're trying to get some info. And Rabble is a tech villain who can talk to computers and get info. It's like a poor elevator operator. This poor guy, like, <laughs> it's the one day he should have called in sick in the dilapidated deal. Yeah, of, why is he working? This thing's just blown up. It's like the elevators. Guy, it's uh, one of those. I think this guy's so dumb. He never really was told he was fired. And nobody, he just shows up. He's like, all right, checks in, clocks in, boom. And he's there. And in this, you have Hobgoblin repeatedly just keep reminding us, reminding the elevator operator, reminding Ra- Oh, Rabble used to be real good with his tech powers until Miles screwed that up. Hey, Spider-Man really screwed up that, but she's still pretty good, but not as good as she was to the point where Hobgoblin promises Rabble that we'll fix this. I promise you I'll fix this. I wouldn't trust Hobgoblin worth a crap, but that's the deal. And even then when Rabble says, like, it's funny, it makes it like Cody Ziegler wants to really push this, like, oh, this Rabble's bad. When, hey, you better be telling me the truth, Hobgoblin, or else I'm going to take you down. I'm like, eh. Really, I'd like to see that, but ends up getting this info from the beyond, you know, computers, even though it was scrubbed, it's not there. We have that. She gets some of the things and they seem to kill this poor guy. Poor guy gets killed. They get this info off. They go. And then we just like swipe back to. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's dead. So you then go. And if not, he's lost a lot of blood. And I don't know. You know, it's all on that zip drive and stuff like that. But I, I think he's dead. So then we go and we're going to have the continuing fight of Uncle Aaron Prowler because he can't just come out and say, hey, I'm, you know, kind of going undercover. I'm not as bad as you think until he does. And then at the end, this is where I get Cody Ziegler has characters, first off, repeat things a lot. Yeah. As if nobody's listening. And then you just have situations and things where we spent and I complained about it last issue. Miles just, I mean, Miles couldn't stop. And it was, man, you're you are bad, Uncle Aaron. Tell me why you're the prowler. No, I can't. Come on, tell me why. I can't. Please. No, I can't. It just kept going on and on. It continues here. That's what this is because the prowler just keeps going, stop. I, I, I got to tell you something. And they just keep hitting him. Yeah, and now it's the reverse. They Two keep punching. You know, there's yeah. Miss Marvel. You get shipped. They're going. And then when he <laughs> finally does stop in this and says, oh, let me tell you my story, and we'll get to that. But after the story, Miles suddenly says, oh, I knew you were good. We're good. Don't worry. Say less, uncle. We'll go. And I'm like, what do you mean? You just were beating the crap out of him. He was just about to stab him with his laser sword. Last issue, you were begging him to say, and now you're like, ah, it's nothing. Say less. Yeah, say less, uncle. I'm like, please, <laughs> how about this, Cody Ziggler? Write less. That's what I'm hoping. So you go and you end up where, hey, I'm going to tell you my tale. This is what happened. And you had people where some people had even mentioned in the comments when we put these up on YouTube, 
that there was that promise that we we're going to get Hobie Brown. Yeah. Possibly back as the I color, thought it was but, a, something cool at least. Yeah, but we do show him here where even that, like everybody shows up like with big C energy to then just dissipate that to go, oh, I like you. Because you have Hobie show up. Huh, so you think you're the man who's going to take you, fill my shoes? And basically, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, here's his <laughs> costume. <laughs> he said, so we throw in hands or not? Nah? And that's, like, and, and that's even after the deal. And he goes, nah. I mean, he actually says, so you the one who thought you, he could fill my shoes. Aaron says, who the hell? And then Hobie's like, oh, I'm the Hornet. I used to be the Prowler. Hey, uh, here's a costume. And what? What is this? And it, it feels like that play because people do want Hobie back as the Prowler. A lot of people seem to not like Aaron as the. And I want him this, back. This is that play, and, my, and we have this a lot. The idea of, oh, like, Cody Ziggler thinks that all the fans of Hobie now, are, oh, well, if Hobie said it's fine, then I think it's, that's not how it works. And so you no. still get it. I, I understand why we have Aaron as the prowler, and while we're doing this because the Miles whole deal, but it's almost like it's rubbing it in. Probably coming in, hey, I'm the Hornet now, and here's the prowler costume. Hey, by the way, I don't really know you, and I was talking trash two panels ago, but why don't you use this to go and find out what that hobgoblin's up to and stop it? All right, I'll do it. And yeah, so that's the big play of this, where they have to then go and take down Hobgoblin and Rabble while you just end up having Rabble trying to get her powers back, Hobgoblin talking and stuff, but you don't even really get a concept of anything going on or what's really big and how this is. All you're getting is we find out Rabble and no, even if you do know, like, I hate that Spider-Man. He's the one who took it. And then you get Miles freak out when he hears Rabble. But really, the overall concept of what they're trying to do and why they're trying to break him the beyond, that is so secondary, the way that Cody yeah. Ziegler writes this, that it never feels important. So they go to the warehouse they're in. You end up where you have Aaron say, okay, here's where they are. I don't really have the whole layout, but I kind of do. But really the play is there is a bunch of enforcers outside, but nobody inside. So we have to take out these enforcers, you know, such as Mr. Fish. You know, you know, Mr. Fish. Yeah, Manbull, classics like Mr. Goldbug, Fish. Goldbug, <laughs> Rickadonna, and then slumming it. Is a shocker. I'm like, shocker, get out of there. You don't belong here. But they're outside. They have to take them down, but no guards inside once they get that. And I said to you before we had it where they're going to split up the team and they say, okay, the loud team is going to go take down Shocker, Goldbug, Mambo, Mr. Fish, and Rickadonna. And then the rest of us will sneak in. But why do you have to do that? There's no, they said you there's don't even no guards them. inside. Even then, but they say, oh, it's going to be tough once we get inside, is it? I mean, you know who you're going to fight. If you think it's that tough, then get some more people or don't split up. Go and take down these, you know, I hate to say Jamokes, but these shockers are pretty (laughs) tough, but he's with these idiots. So you end up to to add things in, you know, because we can't have enough characters. We also have Gus, you know, all of a sudden we saw Gus switching to be good and Scorpion. We also have Starlin, which is the whole play of Miles' girlfriend. You have the connection, the vulture, all this stuff going on. I mean, they have a lot of people here, but you have to split it up and really also miss Miss Marvels with with Miles, with Prowler. And you end up where there's just too many characters. They split up just because they do. And we're going to have fights and nothing means much anyway. And the fight isn't anything exciting. Cody Ziggler tries to make jokes like they see shift also. I mean, there's so many characters. Uh, 
man, looks like Spider-Man got stung by some bees. Because right. he's, he's like bigger, I guess. He's swollen. Kind of swollen. That's it. <laughs> Even at the one point we go down, we're like mid-joke with Mr. Fish, who's the big joke is, I can breathe air. All right, thanks, Mr. Fish. Where's Barney Miller? I'm telling you, that's an obscure joke. <laughs> so they're going at it. The art's actually better, I think, than the last issue. Some of the in-close action gets a little funky. But it's still... It's very stylized. I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool. I think, I it, think it's, it's better. I think gets, that last issue, you know, I was judging this whole deal because people were saying the art was really good. Maybe it was just a, too much going on. You know, since we jumped in, we've even had the issue with snow and stuff at the first mm-hmm. play. Just too much. This is actually a lot better. And the characters look really good. So I'll go back and say that this art is is pretty darn good. But when they go in to this warehouse like they're there to pretty much okay we're going to take down rabble and hobgoblin will sneak there and then they just kind of get hit with hobgoblin and rabble they just come out and blast things and again right before that you, you have weird plays here like we said already uncle aaron was getting you know he wouldn't tell them why he was doing this but he's saying I, I can't tell you here then they're beating him up and he's like i trying to tell him and then finally when he does say hey i was kind of you know, undercover here. I wanted uh-huh. to take down Hobgoblin, and that's where Miles, out of all this, says, oh, yeah, you, we're good. I knew that. We're we're always tight. You're my uncle. I'm like, what were you doing? And then in this, you have a weird scene, because it seems like it's been too long. Miles, who is really, really good friends with Kamala, that's why she's here. That's why they kind of put her in this book with it. He hugs her, and then even says, like, oh, I'm going to have to talk to that Spider-Man for what he did to set you up that thing. But when he hugs her, She's taken aback at first. She goes, whoa. Yeah, she goes, whoa. And then he's <laughs> like, oh, man, I'm just so happy. And then kind of goes, okay. But seriously, if you've been reading Marvel and if you've been reading the, you know, the Miss Marvel stuff and at least following that whole thing of her dying and Amazing Spider-Man bullcrap and then get resurrected as a mutant bullcrap, when you get to that, you're almost led to believe that this cliffhanger that we're supposed to believe after all of that. She's going to die here in a tie-in to Gang War in a yeah, Miles no chance. book. No chance. Don't even try to be silly like that. There is no chance, though. I thought, you know, it was weird that she died in an amazing Spider-Man, but she's not going to die here. And that's kind of the play. And, and he sets it up by saying and having Miles like, oh, man, I'm so glad that you're back and all that. And then just to have a big explosion and she's hurt, he's hurt. And. You end up seeing Hobgoblin and Rabble look pretty cool and just say, hey, we're going to give you a warm welcome, ha, ha, ha. And by the end, I'm like, okay, this was nothing of a real gang war tie-in. I'm not interested. We are, this is where, and again, people have been reading this book and telling me to read it. That's fine. Yes. But they're already going to be reading it. What this really is, and Cody Ziegler's playing it this way, it's a backdoor pilot to get us involved in the book and Rabble so that we will continue after gang oh, it's obviously it's an pilot. audition yeah. to say hey everybody why don't you go and we're we got this big villain rabble and this is going to be the huge thing arch nemesis so here she is isn't she cool let's go and i'll see you at issue 300 I mean, and i'm like no i i'm not interested i really i don't think that's the character might be interesting but i don't look at her in these issues in this issue as Oh my God, this is the next Green Goblin for Miles. And this is the Joker to a Batman. The arch nemesis should be big. And I'm like, yeah, she's kind of whiny about, oh, my power's this. And she needs Hobgoblin's help. And Miles, it just didn't feel authentic for him to really panic like that. And I don't know. It just felt less. I mean, I would go so far as to say that 
in order, Cody was probably like, in order for me to do the gang war stuff, you got to put Hobgoblin on the map because that's all I'm going to talk about. It's not. It's nothing to do with gang war. It's just no. And again, what what would you have here if you're going to say it is like? What does Hobgoblin care? He's, he's not. Know, a, is he there trying to take down Hell's Kitchen? I don't no. think so. No. No, is he there trying to get his territory to include the you know somewhere Manhattan? And is he they just trying to get the Hobgoblin and... story into that somehow? And that was all they did. Yeah, and so when you get to the end, I again, I wish that I could say that I thought, Rab, oh, that's a cool character. That's really neat. I mean, it's it's, it's it rides a goblin glider, I guess, and has kind of those traits. So it's kind of similar, but that's it's it. It's similar, but is that the thing of saying like? This is beyond. I'm not even just saying like, oh yeah, the guy kind of. I'm saying that are you reading this and saying, oh my, are you telling people, oh my god, like in our Slack chat that we have for our Patreon, are you going in there and saying, everybody, don't sleep on this because Rabble's awesome and it's going to be the huge, like going to be great, and you got no, no, we're not. You, oh, what did you send me? You sent me. Who is it? (laughs) You didn't even care. No, I was thinking that after Gang Wars over, we weren't going to read this anymore, buddy. (laughs) And when I started, and I saw, I'm like, oh, I saw the 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 news deal that they had sent out. Marvel sent out that it was like, hey, everybody, and it was like that big. Here's that recent announcement. Yeah, it was like last week or two weeks ago. And these books are coming too fast and furious. I don't need these every two weeks. I need them once a month. So yeah, the big announcement. Coming up in issue number 300, Miles really faces off against his new arch nemesis. This is going to, you know, wow everybody and go crazy. And it's Rabble. I'm like, "Eh, I've never heard that name really. And I don't really think that it's going to be anything that crazy. Even the name Rabble is weird. Yeah. And like I said, Cody Ziegler's dialogue at points just, it feels off. It feels like he's he's writing things but not really taking the whole broad conversation. People seem to say things without listening and then repeat things and then go just weird but the art's okay and overall it's it's what it is but hardly a gang worth time but what would you give this i think that's the same thing i gave the last one just a six it's just yeah i think i'm down i think i'm at a five i think i'm at a five it was just there's there's too many characters doing nothing so it's like like crisis on infinite earth's number of characters i mean there are so many yeah like one percent of the story you have all these and i have a list and it's a long list of characters that are in here just in case but if you read the recap, there's 80 others that were mentioned that just don't have like a still in woman this in this. Like, we don't even talk about her. Because, yeah, at one point you do get like a, a stilt man deal. And I'm like, it's weird. And it's that. But we'll move on to the next book. And we're going to continue the gang war stuff. And it's just, I, I don't get it. Luke Cage gang war number three. I actually was shocked. I'm like, oh, my, we, we've had three of these already. I, yeah. I didn't even realize by this point that we have. <laughs> It's just that not much has happened. It's written by Rodney Barnes, art by Ramon F. Box, colors by Andrew Dollhouse, DC's Travis Lanham on letters. I'll say every time, I think Rodney Barnes is a really good writer. I like Rodney Barnes. I don't, I, I, maybe he's just like, eh, they're not giving me much here. I'll just throw some stuff out because the big play that we joked about before was we pretty much had steel, and we mean Shaquille O'Neal steel, mm-hmm. with this new custom. That gets tossed away. To then get crazier and, and this gets to by the end like are you just trying to just be goofy and have fun? because if you're gonna like this you're gonna like it because it's goofy fun if it's you're not gonna like top. it yeah. it is cliched nonsensical <laughs> superhero comic book right that really you don't need to read this this one feels so much every time i read it, i'm like why would anybody buy this if you're a luke cage fan sure you can get some fun but 
this is like the idea of doesn't matter. Holy moly. And it should because Luke (laughs) is the mayor. We have the Fisk's Law, which, again, even in an event that kind of deals with that, has been pushed aside in every other book. You know what I mean? Like there in the Miles book that we just did, nobody's sitting there thinking, oh, my God, we better not go out. They even have the cape slap, but they're just going around and they're fighting costume villains and they're going against other cousins. Like nobody bats an eye. You have the amazing Spider-Man. Nobody's batting an eye. And in this, all of a sudden, it becomes the deal like out of out of the blue, the most ridiculous time to bring it up when when Luke is fighting. But get into (laughs) this because you you start out, you even have like Alistair Smythe ended up blowing up his high rise apartment like George Jefferson. And everybody got out to think we didn't even know that Smythe got out, but now he's in Rochester. Now he's just hanging. That he's in like an old rundown shack. He's got all of his gizmos and gadgets. And we did see at the end of last issue that these giant sentinels that were kind of developed in the same way, but to be against As spiders. Spider you have all these spider slayer stuff going on because it's Alistair Smythe. And he's trying to explain what's but you never really get enough here. If you don't know who Alistair Smythe is or the Spider Slayers, you're not going to really get it from this recap that he's giving you. He's like, hey, my dad, you know, he's against the spiders. And that's why we made these. It's just trying to explain why he would be having these sentinels. But then he also has robots. Well, I mean, he also, he's he's just Alistair Smythe would have more money than Elon Musk. I mean, this guy and there, there is there are like 25 of these giant ones and then an unlimited amount of the small ones. Yeah, tons. And remember (laughs) The small ones, you say, we saw those last issue that the floor opened up. Those probably just got destroyed because of that big explosion. So this guy's just burning money. Mm-hmm. But he has these big giant sentinels, and you see it where it crashes in. And, of course, you get Luke yelling, sweet Christmas. And this thing is grabbing Luke. And then he says, put me down. And for some reason, the thing agrees. And then he says, oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Throws then him out. when the thing's going to stomp on him, he yells, get up, cage. I'm like, okay, he's doing all this stuff. He's rolling. And and then he's yelling through these sentinels at Smythe. But that doesn't really play out much of anything. And then he goes to attack (laughs) and he's going to rip this thing apart, get shocked, falls, cloak catches him. And at that point, we're only a couple pages in. I'm like, what the hell is going on in this book? Again, gang war? I I don't know. I I mean, it's the the mayor of the city that it's happening in. (laughs) <laughs> but you're playing the idea where he's MIA. You even It's funny because they even have at the beginning the, the real question that's on the news. The real question is, where is Luke Cage? Where's the mayor? He's, he's in City Hall getting attacked. He's in the mayor's sentinels. office getting yeah, his, his, his butt kicked. Yeah. And he can't fight back because he's a uh, vigilante. How does that go? You end up where <laughs> he's the mayor. He gets attacked by sentinels and he's trying to destroy them. And that cop, that this guy just He's pulls ready to up. arrest him. Yeah. He pulls up. Oh, going to have to arrest you again. No, but this isn't, like, this is just war. Screw gang war. Screw, you know, this whole Fisk's law. He is fighting as just a guy who, if he doesn't fight back, he's going to be killed. I don't care if he's Luke Cage or if he's, you know, Dr. Matt here. The the guy (laughs) has to fight back or people are going to die. This isn't quite vigilantism. And so they're going to play it, though. And and, and we're just going to keep going with this play of stand back. If you stop me, people will die. And they're like, okay, like, why even do it then? But yeah, they're like, okay, we got to go do this. Now, if you had this cop show up and immediately said, listen, 
I gonna have to do something here, Mister Cage. You can't be around Cloak. Uh, you know, a dagger is that like those are the plays here. But no, he's like, I'm gonna have to rescue until mm-hmm. he doesn't. That, I mean, the guy kind of just disappears a bit. They're there for the standoff. The perspective to me gets thrown off a bit because these things are like, I mean, what are they, 50 feet tall? Oh, yeah. yeah. And they go to punch Luke, but it seems like their hands get real small to punch him or slap him. I know it's Luke Cage again, but give the perspective because that's pretty cool. His body is as big as, smaller than one of their heads when he jumps up there and hits it in the face. And then it's like slapping him, but then, you know, he jumps up in the air and when he punches this face, the face seems to get. And I like that uh, Smythe is talking through him because it's weird to see the robot talking in regular words. Yeah, and that's what he's yelling like, hey, we're going to get take you down. Hey, Smythe, you didn't <laughs> hear me. We're going to do this. You, you have him say some curse words. But he says, let's do this. And then whacks the head, but it doesn't really do much. The police start firing because the mayor's like, let's do this. But then the, these sentinels blow up the cop cars. <laughs> At one point, even like, I'm telling you, I like Rodney Barnes. I don't think he has much to work with. At one point, he <laughs> just yells, Luke yells, time to put the taxpayer dollars to work and throws a car at the time. Like, what? Like, yeah, that? I mean, he technically is getting employed by the taxpayer. So he's it's weird working. that he's saying <laughs> that almost like that's like the attack. But he's already attacking and throwing the cop car, <laughs> does it? And, and they blow it up, and then we have full out. Jessica shows up. You have Danny. They're going to show up and say, hey, why did you tell us there was a fight going on? They're fighting. And then Danny in the meantime is like, I think I thought of something. I think I might have something that we could do that wouldn't just be this hand-to-hand. Yeah, completely Bullcrap. out of nowhere he thinks of yeah. this. I'm going to head off right now. You, yeah, you guys see you I'm going to go back to, you know, Rand <laughs> Industries. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll talk to you later. He bails. At that point, also, <laughs> this is, again, just such a weird deal of things that make me giggle. Smythe decides now it's time to open up all of these containers, shipping containers. They're full of these robots. They're all, just so you have numbers. And they start, you know, marching, and these looters are crapping their pants. Oh, no. <laughs> Why? They, they, they're just there for a paddle and they run away. What are they carrying out? Gold bricks or something? Yeah, it looks like they have either. I'm telling you, at one point I thought they had VHS tapes. Like, what are they doing? Cause and also, I love where they're breaking into a place that has a sale. Man, yeah, that's 20% selling good enough. They're just going in. Who knows? But they they end up there and like, oh, no, but nothing. These, these, rob- these robots aren't. They're not interested. They just go they're by. They're like so. uh, Ultrons. Like yeah, that's level what it stuff. is. And, uh, yeah, a low rent. Low rent trons. You end up where then Danny runs off and he goes and he's like, oh, man, I didn't think I'd be able to do this. I have this tech division. Here we go. Beep, bop, boop. And you end up seeing what is we know what it is by the end. But he's looking. Even then, like all hell is breaking loose. He had to run back to Rand Corporation. He had to go all the way up to the top. Like that would take a couple hours to get there. He's got to do all that. So then then he's there as if he's contemplating this. Like, he's there, and he's, like, in the thinker post, just hoping to God somebody catches this. It's my Hail Mary. And I'm like, get to it. And then he has to call Luke. So they're fighting. And, <laughs> and at this point, swarms of, I mean, there's a million robots. This looks like Terminator times eight million. And Luke gets the call. Man, who's calling me in the middle of a fight? He looks, oh, it's Danny. What up, Danny? Oh, what? What? I have to come visit you? All right. Well, we have a fight. Oh, you know that? Okay. I'll be right there. Hey, Jessica, I'll be right back. I do. I like that. She goes, where the hell are you going? 
We're fighting. Do you just leave him? Where- <laughs> I like, she says, where the hell are you going? He says, I have no idea. Yeah. Like- he gets in the cop car and then just for some reason, this fight is too big to then have the cop say to her, must be tough to keep a marriage going. And then she goes, you don't know the hell. <laughs> and Luke's gone. And then we give I'm I'm telling you at this point. There are the giant sentinels shooting lasers at everybody. You have a million other little robots just beating the crap out. And you have poor, you know, Johnny Law here. The one guy's just, they don't know what to do. Uh, Jessica at least is going, but everybody's gone. It's, it's like Cloak, Dagger, and Jessica and a couple cops against a million robots. While we then go to Rand Corporation to have discussions about R&D, because you end up where he goes, <laughs> okay, what do we got? Uh, even that, like, at this point, do you need to know where Danny got this thing? Because Luke comes in and wants to know the, the particulars. Hey, where'd you get this? Dan, excuse me. Danny goes, oh, a tech firm out of Tokyo. They said they could pull off the plan, so I gave him a shot. And it worked. Like, you're already taking too long. Your no wife idea. is getting the crap kicked out of her probably at this point, maybe dead. And you're like, I don't know. I, I wanted him to be like, I don't know. I only trust American. Those Japanese, they, they got me with my Hyundai I had back in the day. And then they're like, okay, well, let's try it. <laughs> and then we end like, now, I mean, all hell's breaking loose. And then just to make it that much more goofy, and you could go that it's fun, everybody stops and goes, oh, my God, what the hell is that? Meet the cage buster. It's sure as big. And Luke Cage shows up. In the Hulkbuster kind of deal, but a big giant cage buster, so he I ever, says. I, I got a problem with the name then, because if it's Hulkbuster, you're fighting the Hulk, right? So why you're fighting Luke Cage? So did Danny make this thing to fight him? He's just calling it that. He's he trying to come up Smythe with his buster. own deal. I think he's just coming up with his own name, and they're like, that doesn't work. I don't care. But here's the other thing about this, okay? Luke Cage is fighting, right? Luke Cage, he's there fighting. Jessica's there. They're they're married. They're fighting together. They're keeping the backs of each other. Hey, we'll get through. There's no reason Danny needed Luke to come and get this. He could have yeah. gotten in the stamp thing. Yeah, because and, he doesn't even have powers. No. So he's, why would you have Luke Cage, the most powerful guy take in him your out of crew the fight. here, take him out of the fight to be Cage Buster when Danny ran off and should have shown up to add into the fight with this? I'm like, yes. why are you doing this? It doesn't need to be Luke. No, it shouldn't be Luke. Luke's Put the, the one guy who could do things. Yeah, Danny. When Danny says <laughs> that this, the, the hand-to-hand, it ain't working. We got that. That to me means that he's saying he's not any bit of. He can't do anything. He, that's all he's got. Especially because now he's just him with his kung fu. Deal, Plus, right? it's his robot. He developed it. It would probably have like kung fu moves and stuff. Luke Cage does not operate this thing. If you have the team of Jessica, Luke, <laughs> Cloak, and Dagger, and, and then you add up, then, then you're really talking, but you yep. minus your big, it's, it's weird. It would be like we're, you know, we're big Eagles fans. It would be like you, you make this trade where you end up, oh my God, like we're getting all these weird dudes, but we get rid of our best guy. I mean, there's no reason it's for it. It's MC Scat no Cat, man. It's just, you know, it's... Again, what is this series here of this little mini tie-in series? We had Steel Suit that nobody can. Now it's Cage Buster. <laughs> Nobody's going to like this. And the art, the art's okay. Cage, but like you said, that doesn't even work. Mm-hmm. Cage Buster. 
Uh, you should have, I don't know. I'll think of something when, like, two weeks from now, I'm like, oh, man, I should have thought of that. Thinking more of, like, a mayor type thing when he shows up. He could say some crazy thing, but I don't know. Nonsense. Should be like the 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 Wilson the Fisk's law buster. Just get rid of that. Yeah. Like, it'd be funny. He's like, "Hey, what is that? Oh, this it's the gang war slash Fisk buster law thinger majigger." They're like, "That doesn't work." Plus, he's got like a no symbol, and I don't even yeah. know what that means. There's like, no cool decals on or anything. It's just boring. If you're gonna ask me if this mecha robot punches harder than luke i don't even know that i could tell you it does yeah equal with that you know maybe I equal think or... if you ask me what's more agile and what could get around more i'd say luke i mean you are you know pretty much nullifying luke from your team to get nonsense that should have had danny danny should have come in in this and then you have it would be funny where luke looks up and like what the hell is that danny he's like i call it the cage buster and then looks like we're gonna have to talk about this later. There you like, go. That all. sounds like a lot of bullcrap. We'll talk about it. That doesn't make sense. Like something like that. Yeah. But no. No, you have this, and it's but. still like a fifth of the size of one of those sentinels. So it's yeah. not even. He's in there with a suit on. Looks so goofy. <laughs> uh, but what would you give this? I, I'm just a, another flat six on this. Yeah, I think I'm just. <laughs> I mean, uh, here's I can read. They'd be laughing and, at some stuff. Well, that's the thing. I can read this and laugh, but is that? Great at this point in three issues where you realize, I mean, seriously, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What has this gang war done? Nothing. At the end, maybe at the end of this whole deal, we'll have a little bit of a side play that we just talk about overall gang war and what it's meant and what goes for. Because it, yeah. they better, you look at the thing and you realize, like, we are close to being done. Like, we're well past half and nothing's happened. And you wonder, like, what is this? I don't even know. Like, I can't, like, we've talked about this before, but are you sitting there saying, oh, man, that Hobgoblin's certainly doing his thing, or, oh, my, they better watch out because Big Ben is on the move. No. There should have been a uh, a, a gang war series, five or six issues. Yeah, you're, you're Mr. Positive. I am not. We're going to go <laughs> now. That is it. But we're going to go off to talk some other books, and I believe, possibly, I will say, possibly, I don't know why I set it up this way, but I think we might go off to hear about the Avengers. In a solo deal with Zach because I bailed. He ended up wanting to Me do too. it. I'm like, no, nope, I'm done. Tell me when it's decent. So that's the play, but we're going to go do that and a bunch of others. We still have a bunch more books. Uh, I'll be joined by Zach at one point and Gray as well. So we'll go off to that right about now. What's up, all you marvelous Marvelites? My name is Zach, and today I will be doing a solo review for the Weird Science Marvel podcast. Today I'll be reviewing The Avengers number nine. The Avengers number nine is written by Jed McKay with artwork by Francisco Mortorino, with colors by Federico Blee, and the letters by VCs Corey Petit. So when we last left off with the Avengers, they had finally awoken from the nightmare that, well, nightmare had put them in, and they were going to fight against the Twilight Court. And that's what this whole issue is, is just one big fight between the Twilight Court and the Avengers. And I didn't mind it. Uh, there were some cool pairings off, but it's very predictable and kind of generic, so... Uh, I'll get into that in a minute, but we do start off the issue with a flashback to before the attack by Nightmare, where we see Captain Marvel talking to the Impossible City, and they're just basically talking about like, a, oh, uh, how are you doing now that uh, you are here and we're living on you? How are you adjusting to everything? And the Impossible City is just talking about like, a, oh, I'm so glad that uh, Sam and uh, T'Challa was able to talk me down from killing myself. And they just, you know, it's this big, wholesome moment where it's just, Captain Marvel and then Possible City talking about how great the Avengers are. And it's nice. It's it's wholesome. 
Uh, it's more of that uh, patting on the back that this series does love to do. This series very much loves pat on the back. Like, oh, hey, these are the Avengers. They're great, aren't they? Which, you know what? I'll, I'll allow it here just just because it, it's nice. It was a nice enough moment. It was done well. So, but we do get that a lot. But anyway, so uh, they're bragging about the Avengers when all of a sudden the Avengers start falling asleep and uh, Vision realizes we're under attack. And so we then jump back to present day. So now, well, now we know how the events unfolded before the Twilight Court showed up. So now we jump back. The Avengers are pairing off to fight the Twilight Court. The first pairing we get is Captain Marvel versus uh, Bursalak, which I don't know a whole lot about Bursalak, but he seems pretty skilled and he's pretty fast. He's dodging all of her blasts and she's having a really hard time nailing them. So uh, they're pretty evenly matched. And then we get uh, Captain America fighting Lancelot, which she's a pretty skilled uh, fighter as well. Uh, and Captain America's like, it's all right. I'm pretty good at using my shield. So they're at a standstill. We get Thor fighting Galehot, which Galehot has their own hammer, and they're pretty evenly matched as well. And ba basically, the Avengers are just fighting their counterparts. Uh, we get Iron Man going up against Bedivere, who also has like this Iron Man kind of esque suit, and they're pretty evenly matched. And I, I do like the banter between them at least, because uh, Iron Man's like, "Oh, I really like your armor, man. It looks really good." And Bedivere's like, "Well, thanks. I really like your armor." And he's like, you sure you don't want to get your team to give up so we can just compare notes instead of fighting? And the other one's like, well, funny, I was going to say the same thing to you. And he's like, nah. And, and the other guy's like, nah, yeah, no, we're going to fight. And it's just like, okay. I mean, I, I didn't mind it. I thought the banter was nice. We get uh, Black Panther going up against Parsifal. And uh, Black Panther is unable to land a punch. And Black Panther's like, what? How come I'm not hitting you? And Parsifal's like, well, you see, that's my power. My power is that I cannot be defeated if my fight is just. Like, if I'm fighting for a good reason, I cannot lose the battle. And, okay, I mean, that's that's a little weird, but I I'll go with it. The only problem is it creates a problem later, but we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. But, yeah, so uh, Black Panther is not even able to land a punch on him, so that's that's all. All right. And we then get uh, the Vision going up against Mordred, and uh, Mordred's like, oh, well, don't you remember? My whole power is I'm, I can undo everything you throw at me. And uh, Vision's trying his hardest to fight her, but they're at a standstill as well. And uh, we also get uh, the Scarlet Witch going up against Arthur. And Arthur, you know, he's their king and he has this, uh, it's kind of like a steel shoot, uh, suit, like from uh, DC. But, you know, he's encased in this uh, metal armor and uh, Scarlet Witch is using her magic on him, but apparently he's feeding off of it. Because, you know, he's growing big and he's becoming evolved. And it's just, it's it's weird. I can't really tell you what's going on with him. But either way, it ain't hurting him like it's supposed to. So, they're basically at just a standstill. And it's just, it's, you know, nothing's really happening. And then finally, one of the Avengers is like, okay, this ain't working. Guys, you want to trade dance partners? And the Twilight Court's me like, wait, what? And so, we then get the Avengers switching partners. And, like, I knew that was going to happen. Because when I, as soon as I saw, like, oh, hey, everybody's evenly matched. They're going to switch partners. Of course they are. And, I mean, that's fine. That's a generic trope, obviously. But, I mean, hey, it's a good trope. So, I don't mind that he uses the trope, uh, Jed McKay. But the problem is, as soon as they switch partners, immediately the Twilight Court's nothing. And I mean nothing. We trade partners. We get Captain Marvel. She gets Lancelot now. She immediately punches Lancelot. And Lancelot's immediately on her, uh, on the floor, like, oh, what the heck? And we see uh, 
Captain America then gets uh, Bursalak, and his whole thing's like, oh, hey, Bursalak, you're pretty fast, but you know what? I got a shield, so I can take whatever you throw at me, and when you go to make your move, then I'll put you down. And it's just like, okay, so your whole plan is just to stand there until he moves first. Okay, all right, whatever. You know, and we do never see him move, so literally we don't even know if he tries. So, good job, Captain, you know, telling him what your plan is. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Captain America faces Bursalak. Uh, we get Iron Man versus Parsifal, which uh, we see Iron Man jumping in, and he's like, Hey, Parsifal, I heard that you can only win fights if it's fair. Well, I wouldn't consider this a fair fight, and he drops all his armor. And i that's not what he said. He said that, I cannot be defeated unless my cause is, or I, I can't be defeated so long as my cause is just. So as long as he has a good reason to fight or he's fighting for something good, he should not be defeated. Now, maybe this is just a screw up on uh, Jed McKay's part, and he meant to say, oh, I cannot be defeated as long as I'm equally matched. But that's not, like, a just cause does not mean a fair fight. A just cause means I have a good reason to fight. So it's it's very bizarre, and it really threw me for a loop, because I just didn't understand it. and But yeah, so uh, Iron Man drops all his armor and is like, well, hey, this is not a fair fight now. You are you are a master trained martial artist. You know, you know all these fighting and sword techniques and everything like that. I'm outmatched. So you know what? You can't fight me because you lose. Because that's how your powers work, apparently. But not really, because that's not what they said. It's really bizarre. But that's how he defeats Parsifal, which, like I said, it's very confusing. And he, he should have worded it better. Um, but anyway, uh, so we also see, uh, Vision fighting Arthur, and he just does the generic thing where it's like, oh, uh, you have a armor of steel, right? Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm vibrating my hand. Now I'm shaking your heart, and I can kill you if I wanted to. And that's how he defeats Arthur. And, uh, yeah. Black Panther goes after Bedivere, who is the Iron Man counterpart, and he literally just defeats him by saying, oh, hey, taste my Antarctic vibranium, and slashes him. And that's how you defeat Bedivere. And it's just like, really? Um, we see Scarlet Witch fight Galehot, and Scarlet Witch is like, oh, your hammer. It has ancient magic like Thor's. Well, guess what? I know even more ancient magic. Huzzah! And takes Galehot out. And I'm just like, okay. And you just, you get this pattern of, hey, all these people are getting defeated pretty easily. I mean, literally, Lancelot gets one-punched. Parsifal can't win, apparently, because he can't fight unfair fights, which, okay, Vision just shakes his hand <laughs> in uh, Archer's body, and he, he falls. Uh, uh, Captain America just says, oh, you, you move first, Bursalak. And you see, like, just everybody's falling so easily. The Twilight Court, I mean, I'm sorry to say it, it they look like chumps here. Like, really, this, this is supposed to be the big bads of this series? They're part of the tribulation events? Like, it doesn't feel like the Avengers has even been tribulated at all. I don't feel like they've actually had a threat that Nightmare did more damage than the Twilight Court has done so far. Like, really? And uh, just because I don't want to forget, Thor fights Mordred. And literally, all it is is Vision's like, oh, peace out, Mordred. And she's like, wait, where are you going? And then Thor comes up behind and boom, hits her with the lightning from the hammer. And she's immediately out. And it's just like, what are, what are we doing here, Mr. McKay? I mean... The Twilight Court fell apart like a house of cards. Like, I mean, just as soon as you change the game plan just a little bit with a generic a generic plan, your team crumbled. And I get it, you need the good guys to win. But, like, I mean, at least show a little bit of struggle. I mean, I'm not blaming you for using this card, like, using the trope. Just 
don't make it so easy. Like, oh, all we had to do was switch partners, and boom, the problem is solved. No, no show a little bit more struggle. Show, show the Avengers struggling to stop these guys, because these are supposed to be, like, the big... These are supposed to be the Twilight Court. They're supposed to be the big bads behind Mirrodin, who's trying to kill Kang. They're part of the Tribulation events. Like I said, it don't feel like the Avengers have been tribulated at all. So, yeah, so the Avengers end up defeating them, and, you know, uh, there's even this thing where, you know, uh, uh, Vision, he, like I said, he's doing the thing to Arthur. He's actually the last one to do something. And as soon as everybody from the Twilight Court sees that Arthur's, like, incapacitated, they're really like, no, don't hurt our king. We yield. And the Avengers are like, hooray, we defeated them. <laughs> it's just like, you defeated them so easily. But then they're like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wasn't there somebody else here? Where's Mirrodin? You know, Mirrodin, the guy who created the Twilight Court, the one who's after Kang, the the real big bad in, tar- in charge of this team? Where has he been this entire time? Well, this issue literally ends with him being beside Kang's bedside, and he's like, oh, look at you, cling to life. That's a shame, we ought to fix that. <laughs> and that's how the issue ends. And I'm just like, you know... In the past two or three issues of this, we've had the Avengers be unconscious from Nightmare. The Twilight Court showed up. The Avengers woke up, started fighting the Twilight Court. And this entire time, nobody's been like, oh, where, where's Mirrodin? And here's the thing. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Full transparency. I forgot about Mirrodin. In this issue, not once to ask about Mirrodin until somebody asked where he was. And I was like, oh, crap. Where is Mirrodin? Like, that, that's how little of an impression I have of this guy. And I know I was just hyping him up. It's not because I think he's a big threat. It's because Jim McKay is presenting him as a big threat. He's supposed to be this big threat to the Avengers. I don't even remember him in this issue until they mention him. He's leaving no lasting impression on me. And I mean, like, I get it. You know, a lot of Timeless fans are going to be like, oh, well, he's this big bad. And he's all, I, I get that. But here's the thing. This is the Avengers book. This is one of those books where people who have seen the movies are just generic people you know, who walk into comic shops are going to be like, hmm, what books do I want to read? Oh, I want to check out the Avengers. And they're going to have no clue who these guys are. And even people who have been reading this whole series, like, I, I jumped in with issue one. I've been reading this story this entire time. I didn't remember Mirrodin. I, I couldn't tell you hardly anything about Mirrodin other than that he wants Kang dead. That's all I could tell you. And he created the Twilight Court. That That's what I could tell you. So... Yeah, and I, I know it seems like I'm down on this issue. This is actually my favorite issue from the past few issues. Uh, I still really liked issue one and two, but the past few issues have just been a little bit down for me. I say a little. They've been a lot down. <laughs> so uh, I think this is a, I don't want to say a step in the right direction, but this is at least a step up. I'll give it that. It is not as bad as the past two or three issues have been, so I'll give it that. Uh, the artwork's good. The colors are good. I, I don't, I, I like the art and color. For this, uh, I think that uh, uh, Federico, no, not Federico, I'm sorry, Francisco Mortorino did a good job here. I like their artwork the best from this Avengers run so far. So, yeah, if I got to give it a score, I'm going to give it a 6.5. And that is me being a little generous. I had thought about doing a 7, but when I thought of that, I was like, no, that's just, that's too high. Literally, we, the Twilight Court falls like a house of cards. We forget all about Mirrodin. I mean, I just... I can't justify giving this book higher than a 6.5. So, uh, yeah, that's it. I mean, am I looking forward to the next issue? I could care less, because I know he's not going to kill Kang. And if he does kill Kang, we're just going to get another Kang eventually. Either a multiversal Kang or a Kang from a different timeline or a time-displaced Kang. Either way, I'm not worried. 
I'm not worried about it at all. To me, I could care less about the tribulation events now. I, I don't, this book should be big. This is the Avengers. This is one of the premier teams at Marvel. Some might say the premier one, but then we got the X-Men fans, so I'm not going to get into that can of worms. But this must be a big book, and I couldn't tell you honestly why you should read this. If you're a Jed McKay fan, sure, go ahead. You want some generic superhero stuff? Okay, cool. But to me, this reads like it's a Walmart book. It reads like one of them generic books you would buy at the checkout aisle of Walmart. But somehow still has all this crap with a timeless and all these characters that Jed McKay has previously used. And it's just, how can a book be so generic yet so convoluted at the same time? It's written by Jed McKay, that's all I can tell you. But I'm, I'm going to end it there. I got nothing else to say. I hope you guys enjoyed my review, and I'll talk to you all later. Daredevil Gang War, number two. It's written by Erica Schultz. Pencils by Sergio Davilia. Inks by Sean Parsons. And colors by C.C. De La Cruz. Letters by D.C.'s Clayton Coles. You get that map, and I we keep talking about it. We even talked about it earlier in the show. None of these feel, up until here, the idea that it's a big story that needed to be told this whole gang war. But this one at least throws in a couple things that I didn't realize we were going to have because, yeah, end up the heat is the thing going on. Nobody cares about the heat, right? I mean, is there anybody out there thinking, oh, my God, I can't wait till the heat wins this gang war. But by the end, we throw in Madam Mask. We get a mention again of the owl. So the, you do have some things. And we get a reveal of who this weird assassin is, this crazy mystery assassin that me and my man Matt were very confused about in the first issue. And then once I realized, I'm like, oh, I'm a dummy. I do know this character. But we have a then Hell's Kitchen. I like the art in this book. I actually think that the art is pretty cool. It has a different look, like a, a weird, gritty, cartoony type of deal. But I like it. How about you? I do. Yeah, there's something about it. It reminded me a little bit of the, is it Car Car Andrews, his style, just a bit. Yeah, cartoony, very colorful as well. Jim, the colors on this are awesome. And they really pop when, when you go. See, so you, you start out and doing a lot of stuff with perspective, especially with the size as they rip people's teeth out and, and <laughs> stick and stuff. It, it's like throughout the whole deal. But you do get in this, at the beginning at least, that yeah, even with Matt Electra's really over the top. I mean, she is knocking heads, you know, and bashing people in. But Teeth again, flying just, everywhere. Yeah, oh, flying everywhere. And that just, again, sets up the idea that I thought was missing. Hey, me and Matt did fight the heat. And then she mentions he's kind of doing his own thing right now. He's Father Matt, so he can't be in this book. But here we go, and we do get to how we left the last issue. <laughs> and it is funny, like the big play is this scarf who now has the Mega Man arm blaster gun. What is going on with that arm? It's so, oh my over, gosh. The, it's so over the top here. <laughs> and in this, we're going to get pretty much just a big fight. I mean, really, it's, it's going to be a big fight. You're going to have some things going on, but you have this arm blaster gun going. And I'm like, okay, like that's kind of cool. I want to see what happens. And then scarf, I guess it's too big a thing. And he starts talking trash to this assassin, the assassin who ended up setting up. Remember, ended up grabbing Scarf's arm and shoving it into a crate. That's how this thing attached. And they're fighting. Jim, does it remind you of um, like a, a kind of 
evil version of Tony Stark. Maybe the, the, the alcoholic one, the one who got lost in the bottle. Yeah, really. The, the one lost in the bottle that has a Mega Man arm. Yeah. That is what it is. So you have that and he wants more. Scarf is like, you know, he can't just be happy with his they stupid arm cannon. They do. That's what gets you every time. He's like, hey, you assassin. I want to see who was the one who set you up with this. I want to hear your master, who the big cheese is, because I want to get rid of the middleman. We've already seen that this assassin held her own with Electra, so you know that she can kick ass, and he's like looking for trouble. And so I like this line she replies it. as well, Jim. It's a great line. She's like, "I'm not so easily replaced." I like, I just like that. Crazy, because yeah, it says I'm going to kill you and just go directly to your boss, and she says that now. Again, who this is, and since that first issue, I just I recognized the look. Like what? It, and then I realized, and I'll just tell you now because they end up saying the name Bologna and also the mask and things. This is one of the Wolverine clones. When you end up having her pop claws, they're the two claws because she is those sisters that included X twenty three Laura and also Gabby. So that is the play and was part of the all new Wolverine that Tom Taylor did that. I know it's a divisive book. If you think back at it, some people really hate the, you know, the Sheeverines and they have all these names for it. But I actually do like Laura. And I'm one of the I thought, few. I thought that was your backing, your backing band, Jim, the Sheeverines. Yeah, the Sheeverines. I saw something. It's like back the Wolverines or something. I, tell you, I was well. so surprised when she popped the claws. I just got to say, I have no idea who the character is. So I appreciate you letting me know. But that was a great scene. I was like, no way. She's got claws. And it was funny because I'm sitting there. I'm like, I recognize this this character. Then they say the name and then you pop the claws. And I'm like, okay, that's what it is. And I went to look again. I'll tell you right now. And maybe people will be pissed off. I don't know why people get so angry because people like things. But I'm actually one of the few that either like or are not afraid to admit that I like Gabby. I won't call her Scout. Uh, I, I like Honey Badger as the deal. But I really do like Gabby. And there you go. But Having the sister, and, and if you did read the Tom Taylor, All New Wolverine, Bologna is the over-the-top, vicious, violent one. So this makes sense. So it makes okay. sense. So, and in this, I don't know. I hope that people kind of get a little kick out of it. I'm sure people won't care either way, but it's kind of neat. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect to get that sort of thing. So I'm like, all right, you're doing something here. And it, she's tough. This is why she could stand toe-to-toe with Electra, then pops the claws. Because in this, you have Scarf just runs his mouth too much. And he's yelling about this. He does not have gun arm anymore. It gets sliced off. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing to you. I'm laughing at that. He's like, help me, you mooks. I love that use of mooks. <laughs> it, it is a pretty cool reveal. Like, I think that Erica Schultz does a cool play here. Like, you end up having Bologna there, and she's not really scared. But. No. He is going to shoot her with that gun, so there's the reason to pop the claws, and it seems in my mind, remember, she didn't pop the claws when she fought Electra. Certainly that was a, a battle that you would have maybe expected it, but she might still be kind of laying low on the run, not wanting yeah. to be seen like that again. We're in a kind of an era, you know, or a time frame with this whole, you know, mutants aren't wanted. So I like the play there, and she does, she pops the claws and just cuts the guy's arm off. Yeah, he's yelling for the mooks. And now we're going to have full-out Electra versus Bologna fight here. And I thought that the art, that panel with her with the claws pop looked really, really good. I really, I, good. I didn't, I remember talking about the art last issue and saying it's pretty good. And the big play for me in that was 
Electra's hair was just crazed. It was all over, and you always do get that, but I, I thought this was pretty good What do you art. think of her mask, her mask design? I'm not sure about that. That's yeah, all. And, and that's been her thing, so it makes sense, but it, okay. it really, when we first saw it, like, here's the thing. You look at her, and this is where we kind of went sideways last time. She's got an X mask and a bunch of pouches. Well, that, that goes with that, but it, it really feels like a Rob Liefeld character. It really looks like a modern version of a Rob oh, yeah. Liefeld character. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was, yeah. That was from the Elner Wolverine. Well, in this whole play, I, I just wonder, because Scarf, this guy should be bleeding out profusely, and he's not. Like, you cut a little below the, the skin, and I, it, it was weird, because his guys then, they're like, oh, come on, and they're grabbing all the things while this big fight goes on. And, I mean, they're grabbing missile launchers and things like that that maybe Electra should try to stop but it kind of gets stopped in the way that the building falls down conveniently on everyone and even at the one point one-armed bandit scarf he's like going after Electra kind of is down gets hit she's in concussion protocol and he's gonna hit her with what is a piece of rock I'm like this come down to this and she ends up kicking him right in the face and then he's there and then she calls Luke Luke Cage who Thank God he's not in the cage buster. What has happened to Luke Cage, Jim? What have I missed? Uh, well, right here, he is playing the role of Shaquille O'Neal in the movie Steel still. Okay, that's it. That's what it looks like. And <laughs> he he's was like, familiar. hey, this week, me and Matt already talked about it. He's in a <laughs> mecca. So that book has gone completely off the rails in a, in a weird kind of funny way. But Has he got a mecha suit? Wow. Yeah, he's got, oh my God, and he calls it the cage buster, which doesn't quite work. But. <laughs> He's there fighting his robots, and that's, you know, part of the whole Alistair Smythe stuff that he's dealing with in his book. And she calls and like, hey, I might need some help. He's busy, but she wants to go see Owsley. But also, in this, she's kind of needing to chase down, you know, this clone or vice versa. Because when she goes to kind of figure out what's going on, you have the clone. Deal, and I'm saying clone it is Bologna Goes off to talk and you see her boss It's Madame Mask So there are a bunch of characters in this That it actually makes it feel bigger Than a lot of the other books Like at least you're dealing with multiple entities Luke Cage gets called He's dealing with stuff Madame Mask we haven't seen much She's there She has gotten you know Bologna to do this And they kind of just stand on the rooftop Talking a bit about you know what's going on how this all goes and hey you know madame mask just wants the whole city to burn down yeah why i keep saying and it's funny like what she says goes back to what i keep calling this event i keep reverting to the teenage mutant ninja turtle city on fire because that's what is really the only thing that's happening nobody seems to be having that gang type where they're just burning stuff down but that's what she wants she says i just want to burn the city down Hey, let's shake on it. And I'm like, I, I don't know why I wouldn't shake any sort of Wolverine. Like, no you way. get the claws popped in it. You know, maybe they get excited, right? <laughs> they're talking, they're looking over at the, the city's on fire, but she's fought Electra twice now. And then the big thing going is Madame Mass says, You know what I want you to do now? I want you to kill that she devil. Like, all right, like, kind of just doing it already. So they're going to go off and do that. And then Bologna. And here's the thing, too. I wish that they didn't say the name because that really threw the, like, 
She's about to take her mask off. I know, and right at the end there. Look at her. I thought, is she taking the mask off here? And yeah, it's the last and page. Isn't it weird? Oh. The idea, like, it feels like, oh my God, the mystery will finally be solved. But you solved the mystery earlier. I didn't, I didn't pay attention like you, Jim. I completely missed it. Okay. You, you kind of revealed it already with the name and the claws, but is this where. You're just going to, like, people would be, oh, my God, that looks like Laura, X-23. Like, is that a big enough reveal? Or does she take the mask off and, like, she's horrifically, like, something wrong? I don't know. Oh, no. I do like now. Speaking of this, it's kind of the funny play that maybe all of this came down to, well, I'm going to have Madam Mask, so I need somebody else with a mask. Oh, Bologna, one of the X, you know, clones. She has a mask. Let's throw her in. But I kind of like it. I kind of like the deal. Again, I don't know. Some people might not like it because it's one of the Wolverine clones that, you know, people did not like that book a lot. I thought it was good, but Tom Taylor not really loved on the Marvel side of things and kind of getting really? away from being loved at the, the DC side of things as well. But no, in the, in the Marvel, really, that uh, when he signed exclusive with DC, I'm like, you, you picked the right deal because a lot of people at Marvel do not like him. So. I, I like them, so, and I like that book, but what would you give this? As I say, I enjoyed this the most out of the three, and going through it again with you now, I'm, I'm, it's bumped up a point for me. I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10, Jim. Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm going to give it an 8 as well. And I No way! Yeah, these, these tie-ins, they, it's weird. You kind of have to get away from the idea of like, okay, this didn't really tie into anything. I, I said it earlier. Some of these tie-ins are barely anything that is gang war. You're just throwing... This actually felt like it was a little more involved. It did, didn't it? I thought so. There's yeah. not much going on. So having Madame Mask say, I don't want to watch the whole thing burn down. I'm like, I'm with you. That's and it was what more I want focused, for this wasn't it? Just deal. on a few characters. Yeah. You weren't like going crazy like Spider-Man at the moment. It was too many characters. So yeah, this was really good. Good fighting. The first issue had the most goofiest thing with Scarf getting the, the Mega Man gun. And you got <laughs> rid of it. So I'm like, okay. Like you had some fun with it. Boom. Nice out. one. And if you're setting up anything that's going to be exciting, you know, having Bologna go after Electra and them fight. All right. I'm good with that. That's I'm, pretty yeah, cool. I'm so, up for that. I'm there. And it's, it's one of those, maybe the thing in this and something that the others end up not doing as much, we're getting things in this that you just don't get any, you're not going to get this fight anywhere else. So cool. We'll do this here. Now, again, you're not going to get a gang Luke Cage in a, uh, what's it called? Cage Buster Mecca, either. <laughs> I really want to see that now. You've uh, sold you're it on see me. It. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. And I, I lost my mind. But uh, with all of that, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more positive with this. I think that it is your influence. You are a positive influence on me. We'll see if you can keep that going because we're going to move on to the next book. And the next book is Blade. Blade number seven. And even on the cover, it's like, it feels like this weird play of, okay, Blade, we thought the book was going to be canceled. And, and you ended up having Brian Hill say, no, 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 it's not. But it looks like it's on that help, help everybody. We need to get people reading it. So why not put Hulk on the cover and mix them into the story, which fits, but then makes it feel like it's more of a side story of Hulk instead of a team up with blade and it just felt weird right it, it just it didn't it did. feel like the blade book that we were reading the subtitle jim you were telling me like it's uh, not just blade it's blade the hulk slayer the hulk it's like slayer. wow it's like a, a fantasy movie from the 1980s oh, yeah, yeah and then when you go into it it's it's that clickbait type deal yeah, it's not that it really isn't that 
because even as Blade tells us ago, Hulk Bruce called Blade. He's the one who wanted him to be in this town. He reminds him of that, doesn't he? As well, it's like you call me, don't you? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's no Hulk Slayer, and it's weird, but it is. Blade number seven, written by Brian Hill, art by Valentina Pinti, KG KJ Diaz on colors and VCs, Corey Petit on letters. Uh, yeah, I kind of need Elena Casagrande back on this book, and I don't think that Elena Casagrande is going to be back on the book. I, it seems like she has kind of come and gone. I like her art a lot. This has a play where it's not Nick Klein from The Incredible Hulk, but it's trying to play that with the it's trying to mimic him a bit isn't it yeah yeah it's not bad it's it's not Nick Klein but it's not bad but even then when you get into it it, this is a blade book right we have blade and the whole play with the Adana this evil entity that's going to consume all the world and it's been blade's fault from the get-go he ends up killing the one thing that ends up being able to stop it then gives the sword that all this is like blade just fumbling bumbling stumbling to get to this but the thing i took from this is when you first start out you start out with the hulk and it really feels like just a hulk book then through and through and it does feel like it has that synergy with the philip kenny johnson incredible hulk play that's going on which i do 100 like. jimmy does you were saying that way before we recorded it really does not just the uh the art style with the colors as well. It's got like, what is it, that kind of black light, that purple lighting that? thing going on? And so yeah. when when you do this, if I took the cover and all that away, you know, those sort of trappings in the beginning and whatever, and I ended up giving it to you and I said, here's this book. What book is it? I think most people would think this is an incredible Hulk issue. That Blade ended up joining in, not vice versa. And that's kind of a weird play. And it's just Blade's like a guest star, yeah, in the whole book. And so Blade, he got the powers of the Draculas, right? Oh my goodness, I'm going to be Dracula, and I'm going to go off, and we're like, oh, what's the repercussions of that? What's that going to mean? And you get into this, and yeah, you see a little of the new powers, but you don't get the I, I don't know, the gravitas of it. You don't get like where Blade is trying to maybe, you know, trying to keep because he does talk about not succumbing to the deal but this is bigger because it's dracula stuff and i really was shocked that you don't even reference that at all like blade doesn't think i can't do this because if i do this dracula will take me over oh my god we don't really know the scope of the rules or what's at play and it's kind no, of we weird don't. right it's not clear at all blade shows up and and hulk was bashing these crazy monsters in the woods and then blade comes slice and dice i wish it was a little more detailed art there but you end Me up too. with these like weird, you know, gremlin type monster things. They run back into the <laughs> woods. Now they'll come to play later, but it doesn't doesn't connect right. And then you end up where Blade says, "Hey, you called me. Remember that? You know, you better calm down." And then he goes boom, 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 and turns back into Bruce Banner. It's nice that Blade gives him his coat. And then we sit in a diner. Uh, here's this: we sit in a diner. Paps Diner, Yeah, Paps. And then after the <laughs> diner, we then go to a church and we talk there. Then we, there's not it, this. It feel, the pacing is off from what we had in the Blade book. It fits the Hulk book, but it doesn't yeah, really fit it the does. Blade Yeah, you're book, right. right. A lot of sat down, a lot of talks. Yeah, yeah and and it it suddenly now seems like we're gonna. And I hope not because okay, I I don't mind it as much in the Incredible Hulk because the setup of hey, we're gonna wander. 
like a Bruce Banner, like a Hulk. We're going to wander town to town and try to solve the evil that may be. You know, that's what the Ghost Rider book by Ben Percy ended up being a lot of. And Blade, I need more of the full out, hey, you son of a bees, I'm going to shoot and root and shoot and slice you. That We liked the, the series at the beginning because we said you could hear the voice of Wesley Snipes, right? That's always fun. But it was an action movie on the page. And Elena Casagrande's art, I think, played that out even more. So when you're doing this, you're like, okay, we're slowing down a pace in a book that really needs to pick up the pace. It and used really to be a lot more exciting, didn't it? Yeah, it was, it was exciting. exciting. It was cool. It was sexy. You know, yeah, you could hear the voice. It was really, really fun. And you had, you know, the, the, the sidekicks and they get pushed aside, which we knew they would the way the last issue was. But right. And then, then this, you get what? I know a lot of people like it, but I just I get it too much. And this stage is like body horror stuff. Not a huge body horror guy, but we get it in The Incredible Hulk, especially when he's transforming back and forth. It's horrific. But we also get it in, say, A Poison Ivy over at DC that I end up reading and reviewing. We get it in a lot of things that that just doesn't play well for me with with Blade. Blade, to me, is more action hero. Let's go and, and really have some cool set pieces, some really cool action. but. What happens is that they're just talking, even then, they're in this diner, and I thought, what's going on? Like, Blade really makes himself at home, right? I mean, nobody's around. Everybody, Banner says, they're all holed up in this church. So he's like, hey, and then says, hey, I hope you like the way I make coffee. I make it strong. That's a weird thing to say when you make coffee in somebody else's diner. It's just weird. And they're just talking. Hey, what do you think's happening? I don't know. Everybody's holed up in this church. Oh. We're going to have to go see this. There's monsters here, blah, blah, blah. Let's go. Well, obviously, there's monsters here. You just ended up slicing a bunch of these gremlin-type craziness. Why didn't you chase them? You know mm. what I mean? Like, they were there. Go, But they go to this church, and, yeah, everybody's kind of sitting in the church. Like, I love it. Randomly, Bruce in the diner, he just suddenly asks, by the way, how's Yumi-san? It's like, remember Yumi-san for the blade first bite? It's like, <laughs> uh, Really? And then really? they're telling you, like, yeah, go read that from back in the day. Marvel Unlimited, like, no. Yeah, no, no, I don't think I will. They they go to the church, everybody's held. Again, there's the holy place, these evil entities, they can't get them, so they're holed up. But the big kicker here, our son, he went into the woods and says he woke up in the middle of the night, went into the woods. He came back, but it wasn't him. Damn right it wasn't him, because the picture that they show, and maybe this is the play, but it looks like a 10-year-old kid sitting there pretending he's Neil Pert playing bottles and cans, <laughs> clap your hands. I mean, it looks like this kid's like out in the shed. He's he's doing the bottles and the, the you know, buckets. He's young and cute and happy. He looks innocent, doesn't he, Jim? Yeah. Next thing you know, I mean, this doesn't look like a Tommy Lee. This looks like a guy who's like, he's nice. He's like a Ringo. He's yeah. there doing this deal, right? And the, we really miss him. But when he came back, something got into my boy. I'm like, something got into him. The kid came back 10 years older and just looked <laughs> insane. I mean, really, besides the idea that he has some crazy monster in him, I don't know what happened in those woods. I don't want to know. That kid saw things that nobody should because he aged immensely. They don't say that. They don't even say this is an older picture. <laughs> they just say, and then they go, huh, my boy, he ended up attacking my wife with the kitchen knife. And she's just sitting there like, yep. And she really looks like the idea of like, and should I tell the truth? You actually came at me, with, you know, it, she looks weird, but you go off then and then you see a hand came out of his mouth. He's ripping his clothes off like he's gone Hulkamaniac. 
He's hulking out, Jim, slightly. A skinnier version. I mean, I'm looking at this. I'm like, that's no <laughs> little boy that was bottles and cans. Look at this he ain't guy. ten years old anymore, for sure. And and in my mind at this point, it's just me. And hey, I love my kids, right? They may not love me, but if I see my son, one of my sons, because I have five, right? And this big hand comes out of his mouth. I'm like, well, honey, I guess we have four kids now because I'm not thinking he's surviving this. <laughs> How does oh, he survive I this? don't believe it, Jim. Come on. You, you'd be calling the exorcist in. Come yeah, on, come yeah, on. Really. Save him. I'm calling Blade. So I like the idea that Hulk here, like, and Banner, he's realized that this might be beyond his scope, but it isn't because he's been fighting that mother of mine. But it's like he wants the softer touch, so he called Blade. Like, the idea that Blade, and they even go back and forth, oh, why did you call me? Well, Stephen Strange. Well, oh, me, Blade says me and Stephen Strange are getting along. It was a weird conversation, but they're going to go in the woods to find their boy. Jim, I've got a question for you as well. Again, sorry to interrupt, but I've, I want to know this about generally. Why does Bruce Banner look like he does? Why does he look like a really bad Richard Corbin drawn like yeah, old yeah, man from the does. mountains? He looks terrible these days. Is that in the main book as well? I guess it's just trying to ape that deal. He's like the ragged deal, but he does look like a Richard Gordon. <laughs> in the meantime, there's Blade. And I need Blade to say, uh, where do I go and slice and shoot things? Because that's what I'm about. But they talk about an exorcism. That's not my thing. Hey, we'll go and do it. And it really pushes the play of, oh, Blade's going to end up using whatever new powers he has. And but it never really gives you that oomph of, oh, my God, here's this new thing. Because he walks and they go and find this kid. And I'm, again, I'm like, I don't think this kid's coming back. He looks like he's just sitting in innards. He's all trapped up. He's tied up. He's singing. And you have this entity talking to him. And it goes it goes on too long. Hey, boy, it, feels it soft. Does. With Shane now free. I'm like, really? Because it doesn't look like you free. But. Yeah, hey, uh, you know, why free? You smell like us. You do this, you do that. And so at the one point, Blade says, hey, leave the boy alone. I'm telling you, leave the boy alone. Uh, that that boy is gone. I, I don't see what you're getting from him. This is an exorcism. There's that only is. the top half left of him by the looks of things, isn't there? Yeah, my God. He's got the Joker cuts on the side of his face. Oh, God, yeah, got, yeah. It, but just intestines. <sighs> I don't know what's happening here. Uh, but he says, I'll give you my power. And that's where he transforms. He goes he into the wolf form. He says, I have the power. Yeah. So he gets in this wolf <laughs> form. And then the, you give us power, leave the boy, come with me. And then you have pretty much the Thanksgiving Day parade through town of just <laughs> awful entities. Just He's walking through town. It's like, <laughs> let's go. Let's head and leading them to the slaughter. This is okay. It kind of is a Pretty much the Pied Piper of awfulness. Let's go into the, you know, the cornfields. And then Hulk will smash the hell out of you. And that's what he does. I don't know how this saves people who are kidnapped and things like that. But he ends up busting them up. And that's that. They end up solving the case by doing that. And then you have where Blade reverts back to himself from that wolf form. And then Hulk says, hey, how did you know you'd be able to control yourself? Whatever. And he's like, yeah, I didn't, but I always do. That's me. And then they're like, no harm, no foul. Remember, you called me. I got to go where Adonis shadow falls. I'm like, okay, we're getting one of these books. Believe in the good, Jim. Believe in the good. Dr. Banner, says Blade. And then they're like, hey, where do you think you're going to go? Well, I did see while I was in that form and these monsters, I did see where Adana is. I'm going to go there. Where is that? In hell. 
all right, see you in hell. And then they go off. I think that's where we're all going, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, this book is gone there. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Hell. Because this book, it felt like a Blade book, and then it, it had its own identity. Now you're just trying to ape a more popular book in my mind by even grabbing Hulk in here, and it just feels like a Hulk book. Again, it makes sense with the Adana what it is, but I want more of a book that I get done and think, oh, man, that should be the new Blade movie. Oh, my God, that'd be an awesome miniseries. And it's kind of gotten away from that. Maybe some people will disagree, but I, I just it just doesn't have that spark. And I did like the Elena Casagrande art, so without that, that's even less of the spark, even though the art's okay. but. Overall, I'm a little down on this, but what would you give it? I'm the same. Um, I'm missing Elena Casagrande. It, sound, it seems like she's only on the covers now. Um, as you were saying, I think the, the book has lost its voice. It's lost its direction. It's, it's trying to do you know different things. So I don't like to give it a lower mark, but I'm going to give this 6.5. Yeah, I'm a 6. It's, it's not that low. I, I still like it. I like Brian yeah, Hill. It's, it's okay. His Adana story at one point really got rushed to then get to this point even and maybe the editor's like you got to do this this i keep telling jim i feel like we've missed an issue or half an issue or something haven't we completely it's weird i'll tell you what issue i wish we're missing the next one because we're going to end this all with century Uh oh the century number two this is a rough book this is weird i I love the idea that we're getting ready you know i I have a, a checklist hey who do i do the books with so I'm like, oh, Century. Oh, man, me and Gray didn't like that first issue. And I say, you know, I'm like, okay, we're doing this, this, and this. And you're like, I don't think I did Century, that first <laughs> issue. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you did. And you're like, I don't think I did. I don't remember anything from it. I'm like, completely. I'm like, oh, no, we did it. We didn't like it, but we did it. And oh, this book is a, it's a, it's a mess it, it, in two issues. I don't know how or what, like. We just said the idea of having Blade feels like there's too many fingers in the pie here, right? There's too many cooks in the kitchen. Uh, this needs more. This needs to bake a little longer because I don't know what the story's even trying to do. Setting up a new century, but in a way that is so far removed to let anybody know what century's about or anything. It's just. Anything. I've just remembered you in the last issue. It had Farhad with the nose, the mutant. Is that right? Yeah. Is that Remember one his, right? Oh. His crazy feet, the big his feet deal. Remember his legs? Yeah. At one point they say, like, oh, he must have come <laughs> this way because I see his big feet prints and not, nothing's set up to remind you what happened. Oh, it's bad, but it is century number two. It's bad in a way that I think we could have some fun with, but. Jason Liu writing, Luigi Zagaria with David Cutler on art. And the art does feel a little different. Arthur Hesley on colors. DC's Joe Caramagna on letters. I'm going to I'm gonna read the recap because I think we all have to be Good reminded. Idea. So it's when, when two seemingly unrelated explosions pointed to the possible return of the century, Misty Knight and Jessica Jones teamed up to investigate. What they found was not Bob Reynolds, the original century. I'll put in a side here of what most people want but two apparent inheritors of his powers. Mallory Gibbs, a disabled journalist from New York City, and Ryan Topper, a teenager from Ohio. But while Misty and Jessica race to find the two new sentries and any others like them, Ryan has a different, deadlier plan in mind. So the big play is that Ryan Topper, he ends up in the the powers seemingly just went out. And when people were in stress, they would see a big scene from back in the day, Century Bob Reynolds, and then they'd inherit the powers. But they're going all over the place. Like you could have a 
century family type deal, almost like the Shazamly, something like that. But it's not quite we like still that. We have no idea why, no. have we? We have no idea why no, this is we happening. we have no idea. Okay, yeah. Force it in where Jason Liu has them say, and I'm talking Jessica and this demon. Yeah, it's not like Thor's hammer. They're, it's not picking who's worthy. They just seem to happen, and unfortunately, there's some bad people in the world. A lot of them in Ohio, right? I hear that. So you end up where this Ryan Topper, he's a teenager as well. He's a hothead. He wants all the power to himself. He seems like what you're setting up. He's an ultra fanboy of the Avengers, and he knows that Sentry was the coolest, biggest, baddest on the So he thinks that he gets all the powers, obviously, by the cliffhanger. He'll be able to be accepted as a member of the Avengers. That's why you even have the covers. So you have all that by Juan Freire, who I love. But you have all that going on, but you're not setting up these characters. You you have Jason Liu think that we know these characters because they were just pushed at us in one issue, but we don't. And I think the better play would have been, screw this whole family century stuff. Just have the power somehow get to this Ryan Topper is not a great kid and deal with that and see what it does mean to get that with having great power, but no responsibility, having an, an idea of a kid who's a little off getting him, but it gets so convoluted. in we're getting already get, to me, Jim, just what you said. Are you with me that you end up having our point of view characters are Jessica Jones and Misty Knight, who I love both of them. They don't know anything of what's going on. I mean, they are just walking around and because of that, Jason Liu kind of has it fudge where they just end up at places to find the next little clue, but you don't see any work being done. You don't. They're trying to do a true detective, aren't they? They're just like randomly going they to are, the past scenes. But they yeah. randomly go, and then when they randomly get to a scene to get that little clue that's forced in, they go back to not knowing anything and just staring at a wall, wondering, oh my <laughs> God, what's going on? Because we, there's no way they could know what's going on. It doesn't make any sense. So you end up starting this up then, and there you go. You have Jessica and Misty, and they're collecting clues. Hey, that whole, you know, that app eats guy, Farad, like, hey, do you know anything about him? And even that, they're like, they seem to grab a random bike messenger and say, hey, you were at that whole dodgeball game. Remember the stupid dodgeball game? Well, hey, what about this guy should just say, I don't know anything about him. We just played dodgeball. He's going on and on. He knows things, but doesn't. Then it all pushes to he must be a mutant. We want to get away from him. He must be a mutant. Go to the next guy. This dodgeball being the linchpin of the investigation is hilarious. But so they go, oh, we don't want any parts of him. I got to protect my family. He's dangerous. He's a mutant. All right. We didn't learn anything. We learned nothing. So they go off then to Pennsylvania. And any time in a Marvel book you go to Pennsylvania, you know, Crap has hit the fan. Uh, I'll just tell you. Somebody's I'm from, going down, Jim. I'm yeah, from somebody's Pennsylvania, going down. right? At least this is New York, Pennsylvania. But you end up where, you know, they land and they're scanning things. And, okay, looks like there was a big explosion. Looks like, And this is where that crazy, like, we're meeting and where far he gets killed. But they, they're not finding out anything because... You have to wait for the, this big mystery, but it's just weird. You find like two sets of footprints, it says, and blast marks. And uh, Misty goes, oh, the big round prints are definitely Farhad's feet. It's like, how does she know that? I know. And, and when you have that, too, the big play is, uh, and are you saying he's a mutant, which kind of is with the big feet? Or because he had the censure, but he seems, he was dead. We saw it. And that's what this, you know, Ryan Topper's doing. He's killing people to get their powers. But in the meantime... We have the 
Cerebral palsy, click clock girl, and that's their deal. Mallory, she's, you know, in a fetal position on the moon. I I mean, it kind of gets a little silly here, but she's there on the moon. She's like, oh, my God, I destroyed my apartment. I hurt people. And Ryan shows up, and it's the weirdest scene to have them just talking on the moon about, hey, you're pretty cute. Oh, oh, thanks. Like, do I know you? You ever visit New York? Yeah, a couple times. But, man, looks like you have some powers. Where's your wheelchair? Oh, it got destroyed. All right, well, I'm going to get going. Like, this is the one person he's not going to kill because seems to be the character that they want to push. And in my mind, it's weird that it seems like this girl, Mallory, might end up being the sentry. And I, I don't know that people go for that. But I thought he doesn't want to kill her because he says, actually, you look pretty cute. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. I guess Farad with his huge <laughs> face and feet wasn't so did, cute, did, right? didn't do it for him, Jim, no. His big feet didn't work. So he says, your powers will keep you alive here on the moon, but uh, you, you're going to sit here and just, you know, wallow in misery and probably die eventually. So, all right, I'm going to go back to Earth. I got things to do. So he doesn't steal her powers, which is weird, isn't it? What, what, what we've got so far is this guy taking anyone else out who's got these powers. But yeah, as you say, he sees her dwindling away. She's using all her powers to stay alive. There. To stay alive. And they're talking and in space. And again, so... <laughs> so. We go back to Times Square, New York City, and another new character. All of a sudden, we're there, and we get, you know, mind-freaking street magician Marv, who is playing the old, you know, it's pretty much the three-card money play of, hey, I'm going to pick a card out of a thing, and I'm going to do this, but the guy who has the card ends up being his new date that he found on a dating app, and they're in cahoots, but they don't know each other, and then he ends up, where some guy ran, you think that it's this Ryan Topper who comes out, but it, it's just some guy comes out with a gun, and then he shoots him, but then you see that this guy does he, Where I, does he come from? He's completely know. random, isn't he? Yeah? It seems, or it's I him he was trying part to of the do act this. One I don't minute. know, yeah, because he does say, you want to see me catch a bullet, but it's not that. Then this guy, because as he's getting shot, he sees a vision of Sentry, he gets the Sentry powers, then people are yelling, you're a mutant. It's all over the place. It makes no sense. Then this guy then who's flies off. And here's the thing now, I realize. The guy who did shoot him, it was Ryan. But why would he know that this guy would be the next guy? Because this gunman runs into the alley and then turns into Ryan's okay, center. Is that meant to be Ryan? No way. Yeah, I didn't even realize. No, actually, it's not. He runs. And now I see it. He runs in to chase this guy, this rando. Who's just going to kill Chris Angel? Oh, that's right. Here, yeah. was, Ryan comes in to get him and both. He blasts really, them. Later why? On, yeah. Why did this guy want to shoot him? Or why does he look like Ryan? Was he <laughs> ripped his off? Brother? What? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? It's a series of random events, Jim. A series of random scenes, it feels like. Oh, my God. It's, it's definitely a series of very it's unfortunate It's making you angry. Events. You're losing your it voice, is. Jim. Come I am on. losing it now, and it's early. Have some coffee. <laughs> Ryan shows up then and like, hey, uh, this guy's new to Marv, and the other play in my mind that work doesn't work is Marv, when he's doing street magic, he's got a hat on. Once that comes off, you don't even recognize him as being the guy before. Then you have this gunman who just randomly shows up. Maybe you could have had it a gilded lover or even a guy who, you took all my money with your tricks. Yeah, that would be more know. interesting. Yeah. Then they even play, like, this guy was, like, on America's Got Talent. Like, everything is just thrown in in a pile of garbage. Because then Ryan comes in. Hey, I think I want your powers there. My name's Ryan. And you did. And he ends up killing both of these guys. I'm doing and, the world a favor. Yeah. 
Maybe. Nobody likes dirty street magicians. They're, they're, <laughs> they're like naked you know, ones. <laughs> yeah, really. He's like going around naked. So you go out of that and then randomly just go several blocks away in Times Square. It's another jump, isn't it, Jim? Completely random as you say. We're in a de- department store, or say a mall, sorry, and it's Rosalinda whose shift started two hours ago. <laughs> She's complaining. She's stretching her back or something. Yep. And you have, oh, man, that hobgoblin gang ward nonsense. It ended up knocking over the displays. Look at me. And then you have just these girls who are going to grab and run with these, you know, hey, let's get these clothes and shoplift. And they go it's running. It's very current, isn't it, Jim? It's very 2023, yeah, 2024. It is. it is. You can see all these videos of this where people just, just go and grab go. everything off the rack. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah, the one guy says it's not worth it. She's running. Not on my watch, she says a bunch of times. Then this is the one, like, you've set up a, a plan here. You've set up a way where somebody becomes in real danger, yeah. ends up then seeing a past deal with the sentry, and then gets the power. This almost plays the opposite, but chasing down three girls with a bunch of clothes in their backpack does not a century make in my mind. There, there's no real. She's just mad that these people are stealing random things and it turns into a century. She sees it a thing like a life threatening event, shouldn't it? You know, something that's like, yeah. Like they should, I, I mean, you could come up with a bunch of things. They run down the subway, Rosalinda follows and falls on the tracks. Oh my God, I'm century. No, it's just running. Get back here with those blouses, Sentry. <laughs> Drop the merchandise, ladies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, not on my watch, Sentry. <laughs> oh, like, no. what is going on? This would be like me. Like, here's the next phase will be me. I'm in the book. I go downstairs and I want to make coffee. I'm like, oh, no, I'm out of creamer, Sentry. That, that's all you need. Oh, no, I burnt oh, no. the, the dinner. Sentry. I burnt dinner, Sentry. <laughs> I stubbed my toe, Sentry. Like everybody's century oh, now, holy moly. And and then she blasts these girls. Like, she's there, and then, of course, I you know. I thought she killed them, did you? I, yeah, she, she absolutely I, I launches a, like an electronic attack at them or something, yeah, like a she blast just attack. Ham on them. Oh, my goodness. You have that play, and then, of course, then, yeah, they're like, oh, my God, I, I think we pissed off the wrong beep. Where did she go? Like, all right, don't steal, gals. I wanted to yell as they leave. So, this Rosalinda goes up, but why do you need to remember the name? Because Ryan comes, you know what's going to happen. Ryan comes and kills her, steals her powers, at least at this point, And off we go. Now, in this whole thing, you do have Misty Knight and, and Jessica figuring out, like, this is where it all comes, where I'm like, yeah, this book really is <laughs> bullcrap. I forgot about them, too. Are they still in the book? <laughs> Oh, I think that this will play and they go, oh, we see this street magician. They call him the Mutant Messiah. And then ah. this department store clerk. Oh, my. They're in the Manhattan. She caused the blackout, which it, we don't even. There's barely anything that happens that you're like, oh, my God. She really did. You don't, when they say it, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Hey, what they do. They both ended up going to the same subway station route. And I'm like, that's what we're doing dun, here. Dun, dun. That's what we're doing here. We're just, and I think what we're going to have is, uh, and we've seen this in a bunch of books, but maybe we then find the, the old man, almost like the wizard in Shazam, the old man, Bob Reynolds Sentry, who's down underground in the New York underground. 
and he's like withering away and his powers are getting thrown all over. I don't know. Like this whole play that the big could be the big moment, like you said, is I think they all went through Pennsylvania, Penn Station. Uh, Like that's it. Like so many things aren't good in this book. And then the big giant thing is I think they all take the same route on the Penn Station. All right. Thank you. So all this happens. They still don't know anything. But you get Mallory, CP Click Clock Girl. She's on the moon and decides, I got to get back. Now, her big thing has been she's very worried and upset that down on Earth, she blew up her apartment. Everybody's outdoors, you know, might have killed people. She doesn't go check on them. Like, th- no. that's what it's set up Where to does do. Where she go, Jim? The she Mediterranean Sea. She just randomly goes down to the Mediterranean <laughs> so Sea random. where you have uh, this uh, migrant seeking asylum in what might be a boat. You can barely tell. And she goes down to scoop this boat up to save these asylum seekers. And she's flying them. One poor guy's hanging off the side of the boat. No one gets left run. behind. Yeah, no one gets left behind. She said in the middle of it, she gets a little CP deal, but she kind of fights through it. All right. And then uh, it's, why? Like, and then she puts them down on the ground. Now we're dealing with this. Well, we're not dealing with Sentry. That's kind of the. And when she puts them down, you get this moment like you're trying to give us the, oh, this Mallory, she's worthy. She's the one, but just randomly going and grabbing the boat and putting it at the country and saying, I just hope that this land will protect you from the discrimination and poverty they're going to face in this new country. The problem with this stuff, it's it's signaling a, a thousand percent, and whether that's your trigger or not. What I get from it is now it starts to make me think about politics, which I hate thinking about yes. because I'm thinking like, this isn't legal. You can't just grab people and put them in there. Yeah, it's a nice thing to think would work. It doesn't. It doesn't work that way. You're causing these people probably more trouble, though. They probably would have died at sea. It felt still. so forced, Jim, didn't it? So clunky. It took me right out of the story. The second part, this is what took me out of the story. Just like, this is what happens in hmm. these comics like this. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, this is what will happen. Because it happened with Tom Taylor. When he did this, he did the exact same thing with John Kent when he became John Superman. Kent. You yeah. have this moment and leave it behind because it doesn't make sense in reality. Whether you want it to and want to think that the world could be a better place, that's fine. But it doesn't work in the reality of what's going on. And it never will. And you don't have space in this book. To, so it just ends up, hey, thanks a lot. Hey, all right. She flies away. These people are dead. Just think, <laughs> without these three pages, Jim, it wouldn't make any difference to the story, would it? it, it and then she turns out. invisible and flies away. All right, why didn't you go back and check on that apartment you blew up where there's people that are homeless because (laughs) of you, you jerk? But yeah, again, this is Jason Liu trying to say, look, this girl is really great. She's really nice. Well, you know what? I still don't know that. You're forcing it. And you already have the big bad, this piece of crap kid from Ohio. I get that anybody's going to be better than him. And I kind of knew that this girl seemed okay and kind of, but this doesn't do anything. She seemed and nice. And like she said, we said it a couple of times, but if she'd gone back to check on the apartment, that would have been perfect. That's all we had to go do. Go check on the apartment. You want to get the signaling deal. Have it where Jessica and Missy, because they're going through files. Oh, my God. The mutant messiah. He does street magic. And he's been on the late night show. And he's been all this. He was on America's Got Talent. Oh, what about this Mallory girl? The CP click clock girl. Oh, look, with her, her 
click clock, which drives me nuts saying it. She <laughs> always do- she uses all the money she makes and donates it to the homeless. Boom. You, you, that's fine with me. Just throw that out. Oh, she's pretty nice. Move on. But now she grabs this boat that will do nothing. So all this, Jessica and Misty are like, they've tried nothing and they're all out of ideas. They, they throw shade at Stark, all that. To just then make it so, does it matter? Because you end up having this Ryan decide he's going to be sentry and goes and introduces himself to the Avengers. So case closed. You're going to know that it's all nonsense. That felt so random too, you know, Jim. Just the last page, you just say, it's like suddenly we're like somewhere outside of Dallas, Texas. We've got the Avengers in mid-battle and he turns up. Hi, mind if I cut hey, in? It's like, look at me. Wow. And Random. So, I know Century fans gonna I in my mind gonna like this. No but you're way. also trying to play, you know, the whole thing with the boys with an evil, you know, an evil superhero, even like Invincible with Omni Man. Recent um, there was a boys like spin off called Gen V, which was like the you know, the evil new mutants almost kind of thing. So it's very He's like showing this. up like that, yeah. but we that the fun part of it would have been out of nowhere, the first issue, this Ryan shows up. Hey, Avengers, I figured you'd want me. I'm the new Sentry. Oh, man, this kid's pretty cool. He seems nice. And we see that he's just playing. And we we develop the idea that he's evil. Get the backstory. As yes, we go. And, yeah. and even if you want to play the idea that he stole powers by killing people, show that as we go forward. As That's right. Misty Knight and Jessica Jones think, wait a second. This guy doesn't seem like on the up and up. Let's investigate on the side. And they start to uncover the idea that he isn't good. But no, you know, he's bad. You know, so it's it's done in such a convoluted, ridiculous way. Adding heavy like, handed, very and heavy just, handed. Hey, here's Rosalinda. I'd love it like a year from now. I'm like, hey, remember Rosalinda was a century for like a minute. Remember her? She was pretty cool. It's bad. The art's OK. It's, it's like standard. You know, it's not bad. It's standard, but it's just, I don't know. There's no focus. The The concept of this might have been a cool idea, but it's not transferring to the page, and it's a wreck from all angles. So what would you give this? I, like you said, the art, the art's not too bad. It's um, Some of the poses are a bit weird, a little bit statuesque at times. It's colorful, um, but there's just too much going on. It's very, very random. The messaging is very heavy. It just feels forced. So I'm going to give this a four, Jim. Yeah. I'm a three. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's, and you said the messaging is so heavy handed, but really what it isn't, it's not a century book. And yeah, it can get it to isn't. that, but it's going to be too late. And I think that at this point, usually I give issues, you know, three issues. I always think yeah, three issues is same. the deal. And then what I get caught up in the play there where you have a six issue mini, I'm like, eh, I might as well finish it, but I kind of want to stop now. Maybe we, it's just what it's so, it's so bad that I just, I think we should stick around to see if it can get better. Now we have him presenting himself the Avengers, but I don't see anybody making us through these. The the first review, any, many comments or anything? Not really. Well, well, yeah, people are interested because they've lost their minds. Right. (laughs) What is this? It's like, what is this? Like that? It's more like a hate read than anything. And yeah, because they thought, Okay, we're going to have a movie century deal. How is this going to play out? But at this point, I don't think anybody could get heads or tails of what's happening. Such a shame. Such a wasted opportunity. Uh, Do you think anybody in their right mind legitimately would continue after this issue unless they had to? Because it's a mess. It's such a mess. And oh, well. 
There you go. You have a cliffhanger. Maybe it'll get better with the Avengers. So they'll they'll be like, oh man, we don't need you. That'll be easy. Oh man, he gets all mad. I don't I don't know what's going to go on, but it's it's nonsense. But that is it. Uh, you gave it a four. I give it a three. Oh, you add it together like oh god, like all these books. I don't understand when they get this bad. And we've had a couple a couple this week, but. We will end this. Thank you for joining me, Gray. As always, I'm going to go off now and let everybody know what we'll be talking about next week. All right. And that is it for this week's show. Thanks, everybody, for joining us and listening in. A bit of a longer episode this week. We don't have as many books next week, but here are what we will probably talk about. Amazing Spider-Man number 42, continuing the whole gang more nonsense. We have Avengers Twilight number one, the Chip Zdarsky book that I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see what that's all about. We finish up Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos with issue number four of a four-part series. Me and my man Gray will talk about that, and that's kind of become a little bit of a guilty pleasure for us. We've actually enjoyed it. Daredevil number five will also be jumping into, and another number one, jackpot number one with old Mary Jane with her jackpot powers. That's kind of, we'll see. We'll see. I hope that it's better than what I think it might be, but we'll have to wait till next week to figure that out. And then finally, White Widow, number three. Not a great book, but again, we'll see. Everything can be good each and every week. Every new issue is that chance to wow us all. So we have a bunch of books and some cool number ones. So we'll be back with those. So everybody, if you like what you hear, and you want to help us out, you can go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash weirdscience. It's in the show notes as well. Yeah, you can go there and check out a bunch of Marvel, DC, indie, manga podcasts. We have a ton of stuff. Usually have a couple shows each day. So there's always something for you to listen to. But thanks, everybody. And I'll talk to you all later. You are all weirdos. Weird Science is the revolution. Weird Science is the revolution.